This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. अंग्रेज अपना लगान और न्यूज लॉन्ड्री अपना हफ्ता कभी नहीं छोड़ते वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ हफ्ता एंड वी आर जस्ट थ्री शॉट ऑफ थ्री हंड्रेड लेट्स सी इफ यू कैन डू एनीथिंग स्पेशल वी हैड बिग प्लान्स बट कोविड हैज काइंड ऑफ मेस्ट अप आर प्लान्स सो वी कॉन्ट हैव दैट बिग एस इवेंट वी वॉन्टेड एज पार्ट ऑफ हफ्ता थ्री हंड्रेड लेट मी इंट्रोड्यूस द पैनल टू यू बिफोर वी गो इन टू द हेडलाइंस On the panel, uh, we have today in office here in Delhi, uh, Manisha Pandey. Hi, Manisha. Hello. And joining us on the phone, our in-house wonderful team, Anand joins us from Patna, Bihar. Hi, Anand. Hello. And Jayashree joins us from Chennai, Tamil Nadu. Hi, Jayashree. Hi. Hi, everyone. And joining us from the UK is Kiruba Munusami. Hi, Kiruba. Hello. Right now, I'll just introduce you. You're an advocate. You practice in the Supreme Court of India. You're a social and political and judicial activist, and you have done tremendous work on caste, on annihilation of caste, on Dalit women empowerment, indigenous right, LGBTQI rights, minorities, and advancement of disadvantaged groups. And you are also a huge advocate on freedom of expression. You have lately written for Outlook, but in the past, you have also written for Print, Quint, and other publications. So, thank you, mm-hmm. Kuruba, for joining us. Thank you. Before we get into the discussion, let's go into the headlines. Conspiracy says Adityanath police has filed the Uttar Pradesh police has filed twenty one FIRs across the state six in Hathras. Give me free press. Other institutions and this government won't last long. This were these were words by Rahul Gandhi in a press conference in Punjab. I hate to admit it, but he's right. Yeah. But also in Chhattisgarh, his government is persecuting journalists. So that too, they all do. To do. That's true for everybody. So we want free press also when these guys are in power. Hmm. Journalists from Kerala, three others were detained on their way to Hathras. Uh, the they have been charged with sedition for having links with PFI, which is not yet a banned organization. So having links to PFI, I really don't know how that's a crime. Twenty-nine Dalit families were ostracized in a Tamil Nadu district for not withdrawing case against caste Hindus. Bihar Assembly polls are heating up. JDU and BJP have reached a one twenty two one twenty one seat sharing deal. Shivam, which has written a very interesting piece on this in the print, though. Hmm. Riya Chakraborty finally got bail in the drugs case, the weed mall, as Navika would put it. There's no reprieve from her brother Shovik. And at, at some times, I'm actually asking, where are the people who said that she's guilty? You can watch nuisance. Yeah. You must watch this week's nuisance, man. It it really takes these guys to the cleaners. Sushant Singh Rajput's death is a case of hanging and death by suicide, said AIMS Medical Board. So the murder theory is out of the window. Hmm. In the Shaheen Bagh case, the Supreme Court has noted that public spaces cannot be occupied indefinitely. Palani Swami, also known as EPS, is going to be AIA DMK's chief ministerial candidate for the 2021 election. JNK journalist Fahad Shah of Kashmirwala was detained at gunpoint. The police has said that questioning cannot be called harassment, though there's a very detailed post that Kashmirwala had. Uh, had written on this detention even news laundry republished it it doesn't seem like routine questioning hmm. it does i in my opinion count as harassment ex cbi director and former governor ashwini kumar found dead he's left a note behind he hanged himself i think hmm. us president and first lady tested positive for covid-19 key members also infected but trump is back hail and hearty 3 days man yeah. he's full of steroids he, he'd beat, beat ben johnson right now or maybe the mcdonald's meters. burgers just really no. help ben johnson all his steroid which he 9.83 in 100 meters facebook and twitter take action over trump's misleading covid-19 posts does he still refuse to wear the mask he does right he's been like taking no, it off randomly no he did wear the mask but he took it off in the white house and it was like made for tv event he saluted and there was soft focus at the back my god the guy he's just running a reality show man it's mm, just fascinating that's true now before we go into 
the many interesting things that we'd like to discuss. I just want to tell all our listeners who have been listening to us for the last few months, maybe two, three months free because we've been outside the paywall. This is the second last episode of Hafta that is going to be outside the paywall. Oh. I have had a look at the new website. It's looking damn good. I like it. All of you who contributed with your inputs, your little tech touches and aesthetic touches, we have made many of those changes. Some will be made as we go on. But the website will go live next week. We will have one week of Hafta free on that website too, after which it will be pulled behind the paywall. So those of you who are listening for free on YouTube and elsewhere, you should get on to newslaundry.com and start listening to Hafta because the full unedited Hafta is going to be behind a paywall two weeks from now. Now, Kiruba, uh, tell me a little bit before we talk about the specifics of, you know, the horrific cases that happened here, the cast mm-hmm. angle. In fact, shockingly, many news professionals that I saw on television primetime saying, why is caste coming into this? Clearly, there's like a, there's a caste blindness when it comes to, you know, some injustices in our country. Mm. What is the kind of research that you are doing? What is, uh, are you preparing a specific thesis? There is a, a, a specific end in mind? Uh, or this is regarding an overall academic heft that you want to add to your scholarship? So my idea of uh, researching caste and law, uh, you know, emerged from the Supreme Court judgment that delivered that very painful judgment where the anti-discrimination law of scheduled caste and scheduled tribes, prevention of atrocities act is being misused by the community. And I think it was first of uh, uh, its kind and it was a very first time in the entire uh, international jurisprudence where a Supreme Court has you know, blamed the victims for misusing the protection law. So it it was, um, you know, uh, urging uh, me to do some study on how caste is being dealt by law in the pre-independence period and the uh, post-independence period. And it was, you know, I was very uh, shocked to even know that during the British period, there were many caste tribunals like the caste panchayats we have today. And those tribunals have had, you know, unconditional autonomies over uh, issues of caste. And mm-hmm. if a caste panchayat, if a caste tribunal decides that they would excommunicate a member for a particular reason, they can. There is no option for you to defend yourself. And there were rules in the Indian territory today, in, you know, uh, in which the caste tribunals have prohibited Dalits from wearing modern out, uh, outfits. And if some, if a Dalit wears um, modern dress or Western dress, then he can be punished and that punishment could go till death. So this was very interesting. And I, I, you know, when I was reading how the entire legal notion of caste transformed after independence, it was quite interesting. So, yeah, I wanted to know how uh, right now the law is uh, intercepting into the issues of caste and how, how long uh, the caste could go into abolishing caste in the Indian nation. So it's in my personal interest I'm doing this. So so just give, uh, you know, for our audience, uh, if you could, could give some context of what was the law and in your view, what, uh, I mean, at least the Supreme Court must have given some sort of an explanation as why they are reconsidering this law. What, what did it state and what was the trigger for the Supreme Court to want to reconsider it? Uh, I think the Supreme Court came to the conclusion that low conviction rate is equal to false cases. So most of the time we know there are so many implementation issues 
and uh, the police and the state government most of the time come from the uh, caste of the perpetrators and that's what we witness in the hathras case too so in the hathras we all the entire nation's eyes were on the hathras case but still the state was able to do what it wished to do so they burnt the body they uh, you know locked down the family inside the homes and uh, uh, section 144 was also implemented only in the uh, dalit neighborhood and not on the thakur neighborhood and thakur men were able to organize and they decided uh, to demand justice for the rapists so this is a situation and this is how every single atrocity case is dealt in the country so there are procedural lapses from the registration of case to the production of uh, evidences in the courtroom so when there are so many implementing implementation issues and uh, there are so technicalities involved in the low conviction the supreme court without consulting an expert from uh, uh, you know a dalit community or a professional or a professor uh, who who has been studying caste and law for so long it has decided that this law is being misused i think the court should have consulted this and the case came up to the supreme court on an appeal in which a lower cadre uh, employee has alleged his higher official uh, against caste based discrimination and he somehow he was able to get a, a favorable judgment in the trial court i mean the upper caste uh, official was able to get a favorable judgment in the trial court and when the case came to the appeal the supreme court reversed the high court judgment and appealed the trial court so this reversal is also one of the reasons why most of the atrocity cases end up in conviction so i think the supreme court has uh, committed a mistake by translating low conviction into other uh, thing and uh, prior to the independence there were no laws in india addressing the issue of caste because british were having a, a moral principle I, i mean we i don't call it moral but they call it moral so they had a principle of non interfering with the social and cultural issues so since caste is connected interconnected with the indian culture they decided not to interfere in it and there was a so you know long struggle by the dalit communities for uh, asking for access to uh, wells public uh, roads and so many other basic facilities and it is only by the end of 1800s the british government came forward and it asserted that the basic human rights of dalits cannot be violated and also government of india act 1935 which scheduled the list of caste who were treated untouchables and oppressed in the past was the first law ever in the nation to refer to the caste legally and after government of india act we uh, adopted our own uh, indian constitution and the scheduled caste and scheduled tribes list was uh, carried forward and uh, yeah i think the legal history is very clear that the first attempt to even address the issue of caste was only in the indian constitution in 1950s by abolishing untouchability and by providing right to equality just to put the timeline uh, and just correct me if i'm wrong the supreme court i think 2018 uh, wanted to dilute the scst act and make it less stringent and then the the, the modi government had an amendment to the act where they kind of made it back as stringent as it was but there earlier things that weren't bailable now they made some of those bailable in exceptional circumstances is is that the correct sequence of events and today it is back to where it was or it is way more diluted or it's somewhere in the middle no it is back to where it was because the supreme court uh, actually the scst atrocities act clearly mentions that there is no need for prelim- preliminary 
uh, investigation and also when an offense is committed against a member of scheduled caste and scheduled tribes, it has to be considered as a caste atrocity unless otherwise proven. This is what uh, this is what the law says. But most of the time, the police officials don't register the case under SCST Act. They invoke only the Indian Penal Code. So Understood. this protection. Got it. Yes, no, but, but but I'm just trying to understand like what was the trigger for the Supreme Court to want to dilute it? I mean, like someone said something, someone filed a writ out of the blue. They said, "Dear conviction, Nora, let's dilute this." I mean. Was there a specific trigger? I mean, some someone approached yeah, the Supreme Court? I, yeah, as I already mentioned, there was appeal before the Supreme Court in which they have to decide the guilty likelihood of the guilty of the upper caste uh, em- employer, manager or someone. No, so it was on so, the basis of this one case. I mean, no one said that yes. overall there's a problem. Oh, I see. Okay, so that one case was a trigger, that one specific incident. Yeah, I think there, there, there is no need for a trigger for the Supreme Court, but we don't know because no one has studied about caste and how the courts have handled it. All the evidences we have is there have been massacres where 50, 40 people have been killed, women have been raped. But in all the cases, the perpetrators end up acquitted. Right. So there are precedents from 1968 from Kilvenmani in Tamil Nadu where 44 uh, perpetrators, 44 Dalits were killed and all the perpetrators were acquitted. And the court says he has a gun. There is no need for him to lock up all the Dalits into a hut and burn the hut. So these are the mm-hmm. observations coming from the court. And in Madura's uh, rape case, the Supreme Court and the trial court have uh, unanimously held that this girl is from a tribal background. So she is habituated to sexual intercourse and she could have incited the police. It is a, a custodial rape case. Wow, and the Supreme this... Court observes that the tribal girl could have incited the police who were drunk during the duty to have committed this offense. This is the Supreme Court of India. Supreme Court of India in 1979 and there was a large nationwide protest after which the criminal laws were amended and women were given protection and the consent, the notion of consent was itself introduced in the criminal law, Indian criminal law. So after this Madhra case, now the Indian criminal law rape law specifically states, if a woman says that she did not consent, then the courts should presume that she did not consent. And the in-camera trials, and uh, other uh, protection of identities of uh, victims were all introduced after Madhura case. Right. So, um, speaking of Tamil Nadu, there was a case, um, I think last week, uh, maybe Jayashree can give us a little more uh, perspective on that, where 29 Dalit families are ostracized uh, in Tamil Nadu for not withdrawing a case against, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. Savarna Hindus. So, if you could just give me a little context of that, Jayashree, what exactly happened and how big of a deal has it been taken up by uh, Tamil media? Huh, so this, I mean, I'm sure Kiruba would be able to give more insight. But so this happened in Krishnagiri, where uh, caste Hindus ostracized 29 Dalit families due to an intercaste marriage. And then a case had been filed against the caste Hindus under the SEST Act. But I mean, in my opinion, this is just one of the many stories that comes out of Tamil Nadu on a regular basis. It gets a little news report. I mean, the coverage. I mean, the coverage happens, but I would say the size of a news report is equivalent to how they cover the weather. It'll be a small report. It'll have the official version. Later, they'll talk to witnesses, go into more detail. But I mean, there was this entire thing in July where I think there were 81 instances of caste atrocities in Tamil Nadu during the lockdown. Mm. And how many of those made it to the public eye? I mean, yeah, there'd be papers and I mean, there'd be pages in the newspaper which will have some sort of coverage. But these are just statistics now. Like these stories don't see the light of day. It's, I mean, it's so ingrained that it happens so frequently. So, which, which is also a little surprising. I want to come to Anand to figure out, you know, what the 
political repercussions of this hathras are going to be because there are various political little uh, you know maneuvers happening based on that but uh, before that if i could just quickly uh, ask uh, kiruba which part of the country are you from are you from the north or the south where where from india in india you from i'm from tamil nadu oh you're from tamil nadu as well okay so yes. i'm you just want to throw your one tamil line at her <laughs> i'm half tamil so i keep <laughs> throwing my one half tamil line that i know but she'll probably laugh at me so i won't so my my, my mother is very ashamed i don't speak my mother tongue which yanak tamil theriyad that's about as much as i know that's about <laughs> but um no i'm a little surprised jashri that considering in spite of you know periyar's movement there the whole justice party history and all that mm. are you surprised kiruba that in tamil nadu also you see this i mean one can understand that there hasn't been any major you know pushback in a state like rajasthan i mean while uh, you know kanshiram did start bsp in punjab but it didn't really take root and that entire sikh caste system was not uprooted the jat sikh still rule i mean up it's been marginal but considering such a huge movement happened in tamil nadu are you guys surprised can both the people from tamil nadu tell me that you still see cases like this there and if so what does it tell us is there is there is there a failure of periyar's movement is it it'll take another five generations to correct this why does it happen there i would not say that this is a failure of periyar movement or a failure of dalit movement i think we should say that it is a failure of humanity in india it is a failure of upper caste human kind because uh, you know there have been efforts in the past to protect dalits and to make the upper castes human but they have not ever uh, you know tried to be a normal human beings and that is why such things happened and periyar didn't have a magic wand in which he could turn the entire society you know without caste in one flip right so i think it is a very wrong uh, you know perception or narrative to even bring in career movement or any other uh, dalit movement for that matter so would we tell that gandhi has failed by getting independence or gandhi's ideas of uh, independence or so in indian sovereign nation has failed hmm. we would we call any other upper caste for uh, you know taking accountability no we are not asking them to take accountability but we are still asking mayavati we are still asking chandrashekhar azad atavale and we are putting the blame on periyar and ambedkar for every caste atrocity in the country we should i think this is the impunity that they are continuing political impunity that they are continuing to enjoy and this is what helps them uh, um, uh, commit more offenses against dalits so there is a problem and it is a systemic problem it is a structural right. pro- problem and tamil nadu had 100% reservation and it was the central government uh, that was not concerned about it and it did not defend well in the supreme court and in the high court when the communal jeevo was challenged and so tell me the- since since you've studied this do you see a difference in like considering the south had a huge uh, you know a movement around this it was it's there in political history but there wasn't any such in the north but do you see a difference has one state done better than the other even if it's marginal i mean do you see that things in parts of tamil nadu are better than say in up or would you say that there's not a significant or a measurable difference in just how the dynamic has played out across the country but up also had a movement so maybe like yeah, but right up's state. movement wasn't as dramatic as tamil nadu i mean tamil nadu it was like you know hmm. he really rocked the political scene there i mean they, we haven't had like a superstar like that but you had a dalit chief minister they did but, Tamil but Nadu didn't. from your uh, you know uh, scholarship and your academic work what would you say uh, do you find a significant is there any outlier in india any state one way or the other 
<laughs> so i would say tamil nadu is much better than the other states and to uh, you know mention how tamil nadu has excelled in upholding or championing uh, social justice the first dalit judge to the supreme court was from tamil nadu the first obc judge to the supreme court was tamil nadu okay so tamil nadu has been championing social justice for so long and i think if the communal gvo of representative uh, of allowing proportional representation of dalits in all spheres would have made a drama, you know a very drastic change in compared to uh, the present situation so that was yeah so this was played by brahmins in the court and it was played by upper caste in the courts and we are not uh, looking at the system that is allowing such Uh, offenses to continue and but we still compared to rajasthan and we compared to tamil nadu but i would say i have been in tamil nadu tamil nadu is uh, not a heaven for dalits there are atrocities committed and there are so many uh, impunity i mean um, many oh, of levels course. of no, no doubt about that but but you're saying relatively it's a little better i mean of course there's no doubt about the fact that it's still yeah uh, relatively extremely. yes yes so it's relatively better but i i wouldn't say that there is no atrocities at all but it's relatively better uh, at least in few cases so anand if you could just come in and you you know very well read you i'm sure read enough about this considering you you coach the new bureaucracy and the young ias aspirants of our country do you think there is a geographic outlier one way or the other in the country and is there any political reason for that i mean political history the movements that that played a role in one state doing better or worse than the other see uh, in the hindi heartland states uh, in the decades following independence the dalit interests were congress umbrella somehow accommodated those interests and dalits uh, minorities uh, like muslims and uh, upper castes so it was a coalition of uh, what uh, political scientist paul blas calls coalition of extremes the upper castes and muslims and dalits now this coalition of extremes in states like bihar in decades following independence was quite uh, clear and even in up so the in the heartland states had this formula congress system what is called the absorption of uh, different kind of interests uh, it was uh, till the time then when separate uh, political movements were the advocacy of dalit interests uh, branched out into different uh, political parties in last 30 40 years uh, this has undergone a lot of change in uh, even in in the heartland states and the signs of it uh, are seen in the political landscape of up and bihar post uh, say 1970s now geographical diversity along these lines is clear I means in maharashtra tamil nadu and different states the caste movements and lower caste movements even the advocacy of particular upper caste interests came uh, post uh, what i would call congress system post uh, the dilution of congress system or the disintegration of congress system in the absorptive congress system in say mid mid 70s so mayawati becoming chief minister did it make a significant difference i mean I've, i i just can go by this some cases that ajoy bose had put in his book uh, behenji where um, you know there was a marked increase in firs because now you know people of oppressed uh, castes were did have the courage to file firs because early they didn't have the guts to file fir because they knew why yoga job bhi ho raha hai hathras mein did 
a mayawati coming to par in up have that kind of make a difference which kind of sustained even after her in from your reading and from your understanding no you see the social uh, social transfer of power brings uh, a degree of confidence in the the castes uh, which uh, may not uh, might not have uh, feel empowered enough to approach uh, public institutions like police so in up for instance poly, uh, rise of dalits as a significant political force came at a point when there the rise of the mid peasant castes the backward castes the their chief competitor as well as ad- adversary and to a degree oppressors also along with upper castes are the mid peasant castes like say yadavs koiris urmis now these castes became economically and socially powerful particularly in the period that followed green revolution and uh, post mandal also also thanks to lalu and the, the rise of lalu and such right that also led to it uh, so 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 the you can say that uh, range of their adversaries or range of their potential operations somehow widened and uh, if you go to agricultural pockets in bihar as well as up uh, they are in their chief adversaries would be obcs now because a uh, lot of upper castes uh, have been agriculturally disenfranchised uh, they have uh, in terms of land holdings also in terms of uh, social power also they are very much in competition with backward castes and backward castes because of the hold of political power in last two three decades in these two biggest states are the uh, are the new say political masters and uh, the upper castes are seen as allies of this uh, power so i think the problem for the low, uh, lower castes the dalits uh, have only multiplied with the rise of the mid peasantry the mid peasant power so you're saying that's made it worse uh, so um, so i mean basically means obcs and brahmins oh, not brahmins but obcs like i guess yadavs and stuff uh, but, but i mean for dalits now it's a triple uh, it's a double uh, sort of uh, thing that they have to deal with an empowered Correct. obc and brahmins yeah. that were anyway empowered. before uh, you know i get manisha in on the hathras case after which i'd like to just uh, go to the panel kiruba if you could tell me your understanding did mayawati's stint have a significant social fallout or it wasn't long enough like lalu's was for 15 years you know uh, to have any significant long lasting effect there or or has it so uh, i personally feel uh, that mayawati in the beginning she tried uh, you know to make a difference to the movement and by coming to the power, powerful position but it is a history of uh, indian nation where the powerful leaders who come to power and try to bring a change are being removed and we have vp singh so i i, I think again i am not able to understand it understand the system because whatever powerful ways we choose to you know assert our rights and make the society equal it's uh, failing and i think the question is again why i don't understand why the question is again coming out on dalit movements and not on the upper caste counterparts so yeah i'm not in a position to answer to this because this is how we discourage the active conversation about caste this is how we are diluting the conversation uh, which dalits bring forward about the atrocities we face and uh, we all outrage only when there is a violence like hatras so i think we have to change the uh, narratives and we have to change the ways the questions are asked 
So you're saying it should be a constant kind of, you know, a, a, a constant crucial kind of dissection of how the caste dynamic plays up in everyday politics as well. Yes. Yes. See, we, uh, I, I honestly want to ask you uh, in Britain, if one chief minister is in power, what, mm. what could that one chief minister do? Who are the chief secretaries? Who are right. in the decision-making processes in the lower cadres? Who are the DAGs? Who are the commissioners? Who are mm. the police officers? And who are dominating the villages? And who is protecting the villages? So the one chief minister who has been elected by the people cannot change the system that's been ruined by caste uh, violences for centuries, right? In fact, the only data point I've seen, and I, I don't even remember if was this in Ajoy Bose's book, that the SHOs of, you know, a ridiculously high number of police stations are all Thakurs in, in UP. And so that kind of kills the chance of even the, the case being taken up at a local yes. level. So let alone let us, getting right yeah. to the top. Right. Let, yeah, us, that, take, that. let us take Hathras case. Hmm. So when the Hathras case was discussed in the media houses, they call Chandrasekhar Asad, they call Jignesh Mewani, they call Atavale from the Satavale and they're asking, what are you doing when such a violence is happening as if they are the chief ministers of UP hmm. and if they can decide what could be uh, done or what could have not been done as if they role, play a vital role in burning the body or doing whatever things. Do the media houses have the audacity to call Yogi Adityanath and make him sit and ask these questions? He's not even giving up one press meet. Yeah, and he hasn't not spoken. Not a single press meet. And the police is doing all the things and the Apakas Thakurs are mobilizing in thousands and hundreds, but none, not a single case is filed against them. All the cases are on Beam Army. But still, if you closely look at the questions that we are asking, is it's mostly about what Dalit movements have done, what one Dalit chief minister has done to this nation, what one Dalit law minister Ambedkar has changed in this world. So what you're saying is one, one is putting the onus again on them who are... The, the stacked against the odds are stacked against rather than question those who have the power that you're yes. saying we have to just reverse that which I think yes. um, Kanshiram you should speak about that so Manisha could just give us the context of the Hathras case and also on this entire caste blindness that it was covered by some of legacy media I think uh, Hathras case we discussed uh, last week but the development in this is now that the mainstream media has woken up to it, sadly. I think I'd said this last time also that first you feel angry that they aren't reporting it and then they start reporting it and then your blood starts to boil. And that's what's happened in this case. Uh, you've had mostly television news anchors question the girl. You've had again the UP police leaking out call records and you've had anchors like Sudhir Chaudhary play them out. Uh, there have been call records between a number that is in the name of the victim's brother and the accused. Now, we really don't know what these call records are all about, but this is obviously a selective leak that has gone out to friendly media like Z News, Open Day and all. And using that, you have anchors basically casting aspersions on the victim who's no longer even alive to defend herself. You've had anchors like Shweta and, Singh. And whose body is not around to even do a post-mortem if yeah. someone wants to do another. You've yeah. had anchors like Shweta Singh land up in the village, uh, you know, make a sabha of Thakur's. And you, she basically news channels, I mean, Shweta Singh in her uh, news report at least, she just allowed Thakur's and, um, you know, men from that village to just say all sorts of stuff about this girl. That this is a joke, this is a joke, this is a joke. 
and um, meanwhile uh, the development the official development in this case is that the up police has filed an affidavit it's very clear that on the 19th of september the victim spoke gave a statement and said that she was molested on the 22nd she gave another statement and this time she said that i have been raped and she said that my 19th statement was given when i was in fully conscious and the, please record this is my main statement where she's accused four men she said that rape was committed upon me there is also the dying declaration and there is a aligarh uh, mlc where the doctors have said that they uh, you know they have established that there was forceful penetration um, meanwhile you know forensics have said there's no sperm but there could be no sperm because the autopsy was conducted after almost 11 days and that besides is that not doesn't a, decide anything yeah. but i think one great i mean this is something that i've really been thinking about watching news for the past 5 6 days that gender when we talk about gender representation and we've also done a report on it it is such i mean it's so useless this gender representation because it's all upper caste women so shweta singh is an upper caste she's thakur i'm guessing singh mm. what is the point of having a woman news anchor like that who goes to a village vilifies almost is talking to men and women who are happy to vilify this victim who's no more and you can see the stark difference between this case and how hyderabad case was covered i'm sure if you went to the accused in the hyderabad case who by the way everyone was celebrating that they were encountered within a day and these anchors were calling for their blood no one at that time said aarupi hai ya nahi hai I'm sure if you went to the accused in the Hyderabad case, also they would have said that our sons are innocent. No one says yes. I know my son is rapist. You know, everyone will say that you are, uh, you know, they're innocent. But none of these anchors would have done so in the Hyderabad case. None of these anchors would have done so in the December 16th case. But in this case, somehow it's okay to give space to the accused family, or not even the family. Sometimes just the neighbors or just angry thakurs in the village. To, it's yeah, it's a very thakur. To thing. say stuff like oh, ये तो झूठ बोल रहे हैं हमने तो देखा लड़की को ये करते हुए वो करते हैं. And in fact, one BJP leader has said something yeah. ghastly. Yeah. And I think I mean this is a great example to understand why gender representation in newsrooms is a sham unless until it's going to be all Singhs, Joshis, and even Pandes because. they are just going to when it comes to a woman and then the caste angle they are going to obviously side with the caste you're saying caste supersedes gender caste supersedes gender because i can't imagine these women reporting like this in the hyderabad case or even the six, december 16 case where the where the woman was not dalit here the caste has completely you know overtaken what do you think jeshree does caste supersede gender ah uh, no i mean i think the idea of gender being intersectional is all but missing um in a lot of these newsrooms and i think this is just an extension of the exclusiveness of indian newsrooms themselves like when caste is spoken about it's done in a sort of tokenistic manner it's done by upper caste men and women and diversity that's practiced is usually following a major incident like this where there's like a sort of scramble and everyone is guilty of this there's a scramble to find some representative from the community to come on their shows to talk but it dies very quickly and it's not something that has any impact or change and where uh, kiruba talked about what did mayawati do in uttar pradesh i think i mean last year there was this report on policing and the state of policing in india which pointed out that 83% of uttar pradesh's police force believes that complaints under the st st act are false so when you're working in a sort of environment like that it's absolutely no surprise that these cases usually die very quickly and that upper caste communities are able to protest with such impunity because they know they won't be touched 
before we move on to a, a deeper discussion on the bihar politics with anand uh, kripa maybe, you want to uh, just maybe uh, anand can also come into the ripple effect of hatras on bihar, bihar. Yeah, because there's on. one thing for sure though that hmm. bjp is very uncomfortable and they're very careful of being accused as a party that doesn't take into account dalit interests because dalits do vote for them and especially in up valmikis traditionally have known to vote for bjp hmm. if it's a muslim they don't care Hmm. I mean, if a Muslim, they wouldn't even make any bones about it. But for example, when Unnao happened, Modi did say, "Ki right. nahi kar sakte." So when uh, there is a caste atrocity, BJP is very careful about not being seen as siding with the oppressor. I'm, in, I mean, of course, Yogi is a Thakur, and there's this whole Thakur versus Brahmin thing also happening in UP. But I'm a little surprised still that they've let this. Yeah, they've um, let this get. I mean, I think we'll go a, a little deeper into Bihar politics, and I'd like to get various aspects from Anand. But before we do that, Kirupa, if you could just, uh, you know, before we move on to the political side of Bihar yeah. and another couple of issues we want to discuss, just any closing thoughts and what what do you think one can do right from a news organization point of view? If you had some advice to give us on what is flawed in how you have seen news deal with caste yeah. and. What are five or six points that you think one can incorporate if you know we were to try to do that generally, so, yes. uh, like forever, not in? Why? देखो ये दंगा हो गया ये रेप हो गया generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before going into this, I would like to make a comment about how BJP has been, you know, uh, having culture of uh, protecting the rapists. So in the Babri Devi case, which gave us the Prevention of Sexual Harassment at Workplace Act, BJP leader Kanaiya Lal Meena organized a rally. in support of the accused and in lakshman burbate case in 1997 the ranveer sena right wing outfit it uh, you know organized the massacre raped women mutilated the parts and eight women were pregnant and their breasts were chopped off and bjp was totally supporting them and what happened in katwa in katwa bjp conducted a rally right so this is not surprising for me and i really uh, you know i'm surprised by the fact that many women and many media houses are surprised that uh, takurs are organizing no they have been organizing like this forever but there was not a single media report about this and whenever they want a dalit woman to be on the camera they want to suffer brutalized dalit woman body they want to talk over that body so they think caste is in violence they think caste is operating by killing somebody but caste in itself is violence even discrimination which does not necessarily involve a violent act is violent for dalits so they are not ready to uh, discuss any of this because they think caste is existing only on reservation and in violence if you ask them to talk about reservation they'll talk for hours together but ask them to talk about discrimination as to how many upper caste will allow their sons and daughters to marry a dalit woman they will remain silent in fact there was a case and, you know, just recently of uh, there was a case recently of this uh, guy committing suicide it was i think recently got divorced right father the bride's father because uh, she married someone from the lower caste from yeah this is, every, this is everywhere and the idea of intercaste marriages is romanticized in the dalit movements because it mostly happens to dalit men the only encounter of dalit women uh, on the upper caste with the upper caste men is only violence just shaming us for having a desire for having romantic feelings so if we fall in love with upper caste men they call us sluts they call it prostitutes you know in every single attempt uh, every single encounter with dalit women have with upper caste men it's all about shaming us violating us and brutalizing uh, brutalizing us so i think there is an entire different narrative we all have but the media houses are not not letting it come out and uh, if you ask me about the flaws that the media houses committed in the hatras case or ever forever in the discussions or tv debates 
when women issue is discussed they always want me to be a dalit woman when dalit mm. women issues are discussed they want me to be a dalit woman lawyer so mm. they in a way restrict my identity or my expertise into a particular uh, area and they don't want me to discuss on economy or any other uh, laws that's being brought in the country or any other political decisions that's going to have a uh, you know deep impact on the dalit communities so they don't do mm. that and then when they discuss uh, any issue relating to caste or whatever it is they most of the time choose to have one person from the dalit committee as token representation i am seeing so many uh, upper caste women sitting on the television channels discussing what the state should have done in hathras case why none of the media houses are thinking there has to be all dalit women panel why mm-hmm. the media houses are not thinking of something which is you know of uh, from the ground they all want a english speaking uh, dalit women to be on the television channels but they always have a bjp person who speaks in hindi right so there are higher standards for dalit women even to be present on the uh, on the media uh, shows for the, in the debates and also when it comes to brahmin upper caste women i have never seen anybody saying no they should learn to say no there are so many things that uh, uh, you know i am outraged of in the recent times most of them uh, most of them they conveniently sit on the tv shows and if they refer my name to one television debate they think they have done something a uh, very uh, uh, you know uh, something which i should feel great uh, grateful throughout my life no mm. it is my rightful space you have not given me any charity or beggary so this idea of inviting dalits for tv shows for only caste issues has to change and then i'm seeing chandrashekhar asad and jignesh mewani everywhere so when they want a dalit voice they want it to be a dalit male voice they don't want a dalit woman voice to be on the channels and they don't want any non english speaking or regional language speaking woman to be on the television channels and now after a week on the first and second day of hathras i had thousands of invitations for tv debates journalists and everybody but now nothing because the right. issue has shifted to bihar politics and the uh, yeah. hathras issue has you know f- faded off so now they think we can go back to normal and that normal is casteism that is how they fail that and, is the price and, and you know you're so right one is internalized it in fact um, you know we've had a bunch of events and um, this was um, mentioned so the um, there's a friend of mine sudipto uh, mandal he's uh, i think was with the hindu last before he quit mm. uh, hindustan he was, times i think hindustan, hindustan times hindustan times right so in fact you know this is something that we had discussed about a year or two ago and he had like even pointed out to me he said that you know you put together eight or 10 panels and out of these three panels have dalit representation but seven don't just because you're talking about the economy if it's not a social or a political if it's just let's say cinema and and he was right because you know you just pick up the phone and you make the first most obvious phone calls and it's internalized you don't even realize when you are being discriminatory without even realizing you are so i thank uh, sudipto and uh, others who kind of point it out again and again so that we can just fix our flaws which are yeah. major to be fixed i think i think the problem is with the recruitment process and the policy decisions these media houses have so if they have a diverse and inclusive policy decisions in the recruitment process they would naturally have queer persons dalit persons muslim persons in the media houses so they would naturally know whom to call whom to make them sit so i think again the problem is systemic 
it's not about just calling people it's also about having anchors news reporters and people who uh, you know conduct these debates who moderate these uh, panels in fact right now we have a diversity audit happening of news lonely by the way have you guys filled in your forms okay very good yes so we have yes, a have. diversity audit happening in news lonely to make sure that because we and we urge all other media houses do it as well we started doing one last year and we hope to become more and more diverse and inclusive with every year and we're going to be doing an annual diversity audit for news laundry uh, and hopefully the we, we will have better results than we did last year now quickly before i go into the letters a couple of announcements guys one is of course please subscribe to news laundry thank you for the little spurt of subscriptions you got last week it seems many of you mufat khors have become a little ashamed you know if you're earning well and have enough money that is 300 rupees to spend for a month those who have more can spend 1000 rupees a month and pay to keep news free so i clearly have shamed a lot of people into subscribing you can go to news laundry and subscribe uh, those of you who i still haven't shamed well think about it instead of whining about how bad the media is how about you fund it and not wait for advertisers so maybe if i can shame some more people into subscribing please do if you're earning well and we have an nl sena project up our wonderful basant who has done some amazing reports out of delhi on the riots uh has gone to bihar and we'd like to keep him there for 30 days to cover the run up to the election on stories that matter important stories uh, as you can imagine uh, sending someone for 30 days takes money uh and resources so we have an nl sena project up so he can report and we don't have to depend on yogi ji's banner ads like many people are depending on to get the money so you can go on to newslawney.com and contribute for this bihar election project Basant is already there. We've already raised one and a half lakhs. The target is five lakh forty thousand. That's how much this whole thing is going to cost. So please, please, if you can and can afford to, uh, contribute to this project. Now let's get to the mails. This one is from Anamika. Hello, news launderers. I'm not sure about the email on which subscribers have sent their mails. I'm anyway sending it on this one. I hope it is correct. Yes, it is correct. You have to send it to contact at newslaundry.com. I'm Anamika, a doctoral student, finance and accounting. at iim lucknow i'm a recent subscriber because of being called a mufat khor by abhinandan repeatedly hurt my ego yay anamika way to go your ego will recover and with that you will also make news recover how about that two recoveries in one shot angrez apna lagan nl apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte at first i used to think it was a pre-recorded message which was played every time a new hafta was uploaded because somehow abhinandan manages to say the exact same words in the same tone in every video really okay Abhinandan and Madhu have put together a great NL team that brings us real news. My personal favorites are Abhinandan and Manisha. Even though Abhinandan tends to have strong opinions and comments regarding a topic, but at the same time he is also accommodative of others' opinions. I have meek opinions. Why does he say even though? Manisha is doing a great job with the script and dialogue of nuisance. However, she does not accommodate other people's opinions. is obstinate, stubborn, and she really needs to work a little harder and stop asking for leaves every now and then. Okay. Sure. <laughs> No. <laughs> that came from a subscriber. In fact, um, uh, some subscribers who said they're going to start a change doc or petition for me to, to get leave. leave. Yeah, okay. we'll see about that. Since Nobel Prize announcements are due to begin tomorrow, I request NL team to put together a series of videos regarding the winners of their contribution in their respective fields. It would be nice to watch a video with all authentic information. Actually, that's a good idea. You know, uh, by the way, uh, since Anamika has written about this, it is for the first time ever that two women have. Won a Nobel Prize for chemistry or science? I don't know what. Without a man being a part of that that research that they've done. So, by the way, just in case you're wondering, uh, tomorrow 
here that tomorrow is 5th because I guess Anamika wrote this mail on the 4th. Today, while we are recording this, it is late afternoon around 3 o'clock and it is Thursday the 8th of October. So anything that has happened after this time will not be part of this hafta in case any news breaks. Okay, and Kapil says, some people wrote in hafta about the panelist's silence on Meharaj's comment about the violence in Islamic countries. The defense was that speaking at that point would not change his opinions. I don't think people want you to change Meharaj's opinion, but they do want you to register your disagreement and correct factual errors if there are any that you're aware of. I have noticed that Anand's weak defense of government actions are similarly often not countered by other panelists until recently when both Abhinandan and Manisha disagreed with him quite vociferously. This made me subscribe, by the way. <laughs> Anand is knowledgeable and a very articulate speaker, but does not give him the license to what about, and I feel the rest of the panelists don't counter him. Out of respect, question mark. It was frustrating to see him defend the totally brazen acts of governments with examples of Congress doing similar things, but being a Mufat course, I was not entitled to complain. In the last episode, Abhinandan commented, bias is okay. He let Chetan compare Op India with Wire. Does he really think pro-government bias is okay? This is not my subject, but I thought journalists are meant to ask tough questions to the government and must try to be as unbiased as they can be. Is that not the case? Did Wire show the same level of pro-government bias? I have a couple of request suggestions. Can you please shuffle the panelists between Charcha and Hafta occasionally? Hindi listeners could do with some of Abhinandan's flowery language. I'm sure you guys can speak better Hindi than Meghnad. <laughs> could you get politician on Hafta? Uh, no, we can't get politicians hafta because this is only for columnists, writers and journalists. Otherwise, then it will become a spokesperson's kind of thing. Yeah. You are called left-leaning. I think you should get the likes of P. Sainath or Prabhat Patnaik or anyone from NewsClick to show what left-leaning really looks like. <laughs> While I appreciate that you guys are doing a phenomenal job, in my humble opinion, the only way news can be saved is if people cared about it and rejected the Arnabs. News laundry will not save news and I don't think it is their job. It does, however, cause me some pain when you guys keep claiming that. I am sure you guys have discussed this at length, but I have not heard any convincing argument. I am subscribing for my selfish reasons. No greater good, Kapil. Kapil, I'll just tell you, I, I don't know if I've ever said that we are saving news. Have I ever said that? You could have. You're generally pompous. No, it's, I have not said that. It's possible that you said No, I haven't said that. <laughs> so, Kapil, I will say that the market will change news. If we can show that this is a sustainable model, and I do believe we are very close to it. You know, we have seen a huge growth in subscribers. I hope more people like you subscribe you tell other friends of yours to subscribe. You know, if you go on to, I mean, you were talking about Op India and why I don't think they're the same. But if you go to the Op India website, another is a Yogi Dadithyanath banner ad that they have. Why is Yogi Dadithyanath giving them ads? Because they're, you know, doing his chamchagiri. Why did UPA give so many ads to so many channels, especially to NDTV? So I think if we can show an alternative model and the traditional models are failing, so that will save news. I'm not saying we will save news. It's not our job. You're right. And uh, no, I don't think Wire and Op India are the same at all. I've already said why. And if you're talking about bias, I don't think you had the kind of bias that you have now, but I don't think that's the function of the government. I think that's the function of the government and the digital age. The two have combined. Uh, but um, a lot of people, um, you know, especially in print, were far too close to the UPA to do any very critical view on them. I mean, mm. there were a lot of print editors who pretty much would kill any story that yeah, yeah. And call Chidambaram calling newsrooms is also like a lot of yes. editors will tell you from that that he would call up and he would get upset and he would also want people fired. I'll tell you more about it in the subsequent haftas. So if you want to give more money, then you'll get more money. 
तो आप यू कैन कॉन्ट्रीब्यूट एंड इट इज नॉट द बीजेपी गवर्नमेंट दैट इज कमिंग आफ्टर सो वट आई एम सेट अटैक्ट फ्रॉम सेवरल साइड्स बट आई एम नॉट सेंग दैट दैट मीन्स योर गुड दैट कूड ऑल्सो बी बिकॉज यूर जस्ट अ जर्क so that though that's not true for our case but i i just find that defense of people oh everybody hates me i'm not doing something right no it could be because you're a horrible person this um subscriber wants to be kept anonymous i had in an earlier email mentioned that over years there were instances where caste angle was brought out in hafta when it wasn't relevant hathras case how was different it is in instances like these that highlighting caste of not just the accused but the caste of perpetrators and those in power becomes relevant to that extent i expected hafta team to delve more into caste of the police DM the key accused the local politician and the CM it is important to highlight the same as a section of the media is now more keen than ever to puppet the narrative that caste is irrelevant in this case and in new india as the party in power would like to perpetuate and keep the hindu vote intact it is a powerful narrative that has strong following in upper caste middle class people living in cities especially the ones who may not have witnessed caste based atrocities ironically hafta panelists prematurely felt that the case had brought the erstwhile sleeping tv media into action It is Monday, fifth October, while she is writing this, and already the SSR case is back as a major headline. Demand for the narcotic test of the victim's family, as demanded by the alleged perpetrators, is being justified. Narco test, narco test of the family. Narco test, mm. yeah, narcotic like that. By mistake, narco test. Yeah. Arnab and Republic have already carried out stings, claiming that they have not been a rape and that the journalist mm. had tutored victims' families. Yeah. Republic has done a show blaming Congress for the same and IB and others have wow, headlines comparing Rajasthan with UP claiming former to be worse when it comes to rape cases and that He or she that... really follows television news. Please send us stuff that you watch you yeah, want us to cover. Yeah, maybe you can contribute. It is no surprise that this narrative no, seems to be working. No, but thank you so much. I mean, there are very few people who In fact, we've got some people. I mean, I have got some mails that are upset with Nidhi's and uh, Akanksha's report. report saying, "Why did you bring in caste?" So I'm really glad that we have a mail here that recognizes the importance of and talking about caste. And since issue. Nidhi and uh, Akanksha are back yeah, in, yeah, uh, they're going Hathras, back to Hathras tomorrow. In fact, we we should you know suggest that let let them get the caste of all those decision makers, the SHO, the DM, everything that we should include mm. that. and like kiruba also said let's see the cast break up of people who are in charge uh, this email is from aman guys you rock thanks for your work to keep journalism alive recently came across your platform i can proudly say that i am no longer a mufatkhor i love tippani and nuisance mehraj speaks less but every word he utters is worth its weight in gold avinandan is one of the podcast said that he had heard a very informative debate between dude you can't say <laughs> i have he's written that aman yaar tamiz se likha karo subramanyam subramanyam swami <laughs> and ram acha he's playing with their <laughs> oh god acha he's playing ram with the name ram jethmalani yes with the late ram jethmalani on abrogation of article 370 which i found completely devoid of facts and rational on both sides <laughs> would love to hear mehraj's view on the debate not on the abrogation ps i am not a kashmiri aman mehraj is not here but we'll ask you but you've really done very disrespectful wordplay with their names <laughs> Then uh, this is from Nij says hi guys in the context of the US presidential debates and your discussion on it in the last hafta I would like to recommend a book by the American philosopher Michael Sandel called The Tyranny of Merit the book offers some great insights into the rise of populism and Trump I'm paraphrasing some of his observations in the book Trump's rise is partly a result of populist anger humiliation resentment and disempowerment of those left behind by sharpening inequalities and lack of upward mobility brought about by a highly financialized form of globalization Which makes sense, but then how come the heroes are someone like Trump, who's like the epitome of well, how those divisions came about in the first place? I mean, he is what? He, how many times did his company bankrupt, and how many times? Three times. Three times. Yeah. 
Liberal and center-left parties not only fail to address rising inequalities but also often arrogantly dismiss protests against globalization as tribalistic, closed, anti-immigrant, xenophobic and misdirected. But these parties fail to acknowledge their own role in sustaining a system that disproportionately rewards the elites and punishes the poor, thereby absolving themselves of any responsibility. You've gone on to say that Labour and UK and Democrats continued the market-led policies of Reagan and Thatcher. Even Obama, despite his inspiring rhetoric and idealism, bailed out banks instead of holding irresponsible bankers accountable. You say for far too long, leaders have been preaching the benefits of free trade and globalization. They valorize meritocracy. So basically, you get the gist of, of what Nij is saying. Clinton also, his, he's saying his hubris was displayed when she told a conference in Mumbai after her defeat, I won the places that represent two-thirds of Americans' gross domestic product. So yeah, okay, good point. Now, Anand, if you could uh, just weigh in and tell us about the following three issues. One is, does this case have any you know, repercussions in Bihar politics? Two, has Mr. Young Mr. Paswan overplayed his hand? And just to give our listeners context, Chirag Paswan said, we don't accept Nitish Kumar as the chief minister's face. BJP said, Phir khao kari, you do what you want. And I guess he thought they'd be a little soft. But some people say the BJP is using the Paswans to kind of cut Nitish down to size. What do you think of that? And uh, three, is it all open? Like there are pre-poll alliances, but the others, you know, there's some smaller party players. You can tell us about them. Uh, one of them has a very uh, unusual name. What's it called, Anand? The, the VIP party? No, what, what what is that party? Yes, Vikas Vikas Shil Inshan Party ah, VIP. VIP party. So um, so is it going to be a free for all after election? And depending on even the people who are not allies of the BJP in pre poll will become post poll allies. You can tell us, and then I'd like the entire panel to tell us what they think of the forthcoming Bihar election. I don't think Hatsar uh, is going to be a major, a, a, even a minor factor here because of various reasons. First, uh, Bihar being itself a very violent society, so any disproportionate coverage of any, uh, say, crime does not cut much ice here because uh, the logic behind it is theoretical as well as uh, empirical. So I was teaching two days back at a center here in Patna, and it has a SC community, they, they have a separate section for them. And they were also saying it means uh, we have bored of this news. Because the Bihar society as of now in terms of caste configuration is more of uh, a reflection of spheres of influence. Uh, and uh, Nitish's uh, social engineering has been to apply the Karpuri formula of late 70s to everything, OBC, SC, and even minorities like Muslim. What formula did you say? Applying the Bihar formula of late 70s of reservations and okay. state benefits. Okay, so across the board. Okay. Across the board, in a way like uh, a post Mandal uh, Lalu is stuck to the Mandal formula of uh, that 27% reservation in which the major beneficiary would be the most influential of the what is called uh, forward up uh, backwards. That is the most uh, resourceful of backwards, like Yadav's Kurmi and queries. But uh, Nitish's point was that uh, there should be quota within quota. Yadav's queries, Kurmi's would get some percent, say 8%, 12% for the extremely backward classes within OBCs. And the same formula he applied for Dalits also that 
the Mr. Paswan's parties, Dusad's, were uh, relatively better off within the Dalit community, and they had five percent, and they had uh, cornered uh, major uh, jobs in bureaucracy. They were educationally relatively better than other subcasts within Dalit. So he applied this that Dusad's uh, would be one caste, but there will be thirteen more castes. Thirteen, and they were they will be called Mahadalits, means the most backwards among Dalits. Now, in giving jobs, in giving other state benefits, he has prioritized Mahadalits, and within Muslims also, within Muslims also, he identified Asrafs. But you think will that work considering BJP is his ally in Bihar? I mean, is that a vote that will come no, to him? That has, that, uh, BJP has been his ally since uh, 2000, even before that. Uh, see, with the brief period of two years from 2013 to 15, BJP has been his ally for last uh, m- more than two decades. Yeah, but the BJP then and the BJP now is very different. BJP, no? I mean, does that matter? No, no. BJP has his its own grown Dalit leaders. So, uh, like Sanjay Paswan and others also. So, what I'm saying is that the social engineering of uh, Nitish. Now, Nitish is one of the few politicians in India who. Uh, so, uh, of course, there would be audit of his governance. We will see very reports that this hospital is not working. That not. But people see in a comparative structure. Now, Nitish is one of the few politicians in India who is seen as a good administrator as well as uh, someone who is a good administrator as well as he combines it with astute political acumen and uh, social engineering. And that has been the basis of his survival because his own social group is very small, say say the Kurmis. Uh, his own social group from where he comes is a very small segment. How, of long, has he been, how long has he been chief minister now? He has been since 2005 and uh, there was a brief period when after 2014 Lok Sabha elections, he resigned and on more uh, what he said as moral grounds and uh, gave uh, chief ministership to Jitan Kumar Manji, again a Mahadalit who later formed his own party. And But uh, just before uh, the Bihar elections of 2015, he returned. Chief Ministership. So he has been Chief Minister for 15 years now. So that uh, the Dalit, uh, uh, what I am saying that the Dalit resentment against this uh, particular piece of uh, news and the narrative related to this news, I don't see it as huge. Even if it is, uh, you have also uh, elections are ultimately a game of numbers. Now Dalits constitute only six, uh, 16% of Bihar population. And out of those six, uh, out of that sixteen percent, Nitish, along with his uh, now what he calls associate party, Jitan Ram Manji is back with him, and Jitan Ram Manji is a Mahadalit leader. So he, he will corner some support out of this. They will channelize the anger if it, if it somehow surfaces. Then they, they, he has leaders to channelize it. Even BJP has its own Dalit support base. And has Paswan and has Paswan overplayed his hand? I mean. Is he strong enough to make the kind of demands he's making or you think he'll get like zero seats? No, he has his pockets of influence, but uh, he has overplayed his hand. You see, there is a history to it. And by the turn of this century, around 2000, Mr. Paswan was angling for chief ministership projection in Bihar. And uh, when Nitish was uh, uh, also angling for the same, 
uh, but he didn't find much support in, within NDA. So after 2005, uh, with, the, with his own limited support base of uh, Dalits, he uh, said that a Muslim should be a chief minister because he was angling for Muslim support. He even carried uh, a look-alike like Osama bin, La- Osama bin Laden to... Yeah, I remember that made major news. He used to have this look-alike who used to go with him. That was quite bizarre. Yeah. Huh. So uh, uh, he was angling for that support base. Now, I think if Mr. Paswan is unwell now and he has undergone a heart surgery two days ago, and if he he was active, he would not have... uh, Done what his son did. Gone for this, uh, gone for this. But Chirag, his his calculation is that uh, by aligning with uh, Nitish all time, I am not going to... Make a space for myself in Bihar. I guess so, he's looking at his future. He's young now. Uh, so his entire so his, approach is different. His, his thinking is, I am young. It is the time to have a separate identity. And uh, um, the conspiracy theory is uh, about BJP somehow using him to downsize Nitish in the post-pool calculations. Mm. And even if Nitish continues as chief minister, have a weaker Nitish than uh, the strong one. And now uh, in the press conference, it. Uh, Nitish and uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Devan Parnarnvis was there, Bhupendra Yadav, the Bihar in charge of BJP was there, and uh, of course Susil Modi was there. So Susil Modi is seen as a lackey of Nitish Kumar in BJP, so his words are not uh, taken very seriously because he is very comfortable where they are, where he is, uh, like Deputy Chief Minister and even uh, so he is seen as a JDU man in UP, uh, in BJP. So. Nitish, uh, the uh, mic was on and he told Sushil Modi to ask Bhupendra Yadav to tell to media people uh, because the conference was coming to an end and mm. Sushil Modi mm. had made a categorical statement that Nitish is our face and this. But seeing the image of Modi... Achha, he wanted it to come from... Uh, <laughs> and, and, the, someone... and the mic caught that moment. How nice. Yes, and and uh, uh, he said it. It was nothing scandalous. He just said he said that Bhupendra uh, sevi kahwa I see. So so uh, uh, then Bhupendra Yadav took the mic and he said that uh, if uh, Prime Minister's posters are used by Mr. Paswan's party, we may go to the election commission, and the BJP post leaders cannot be used for campaign. Their uh, Prime Minister's photograph would not be used for campaign by LJP. And that was seen as a major snub. So uh, if you could just move quickly on to, uh, you know, Jayashree also on this. And uh, you were saying that there are some little ripples happening in Tamil Nadu Hmm. politics as well, with Sasi Kala apparently going to be coming out. Is she still a force to reckon with? And and, and does she matter in any significant way? So uh, the context of this news is that EPS has been announced as the ADMK's chief ministerial candidate for the assembly election next year. I mean, this is not surprising, shocking news. It's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he would be. So uh, what is interesting, though, is that uh, Sashikala, who is Jayalita's aide, she's due to be released in February. But the chances of her being released earlier are quite high on the basis of good behavior or whatever. So she might get out anytime now or she might even get out in Jan. So, I mean, officially, the ADMK's line is that she's not a part of the party. She's not a member of the party. But what I think might be interesting is that she's a bit of a wild card. Her nephew was expelled from the ADMK three years ago, and he now runs a rival party. 
I think per, as per law, she can't stand for election, but she's still a pretty influential figure who has a lot of access to resources. And uh, so once the ADMK starts assigning its tickets to its party members, that is usually when there's a lot of anger and ADMK members tend to quit. And if they quit, they would join her nephew's rival party, most likely. So, I mean, they, there's a lot that could happen in the couple of months before the election. I think it would be quite fun to see, though I do believe that the DMK has a much stronger chance. So... When we'll are the when are up. the next elections? Twenty twenty one, but twenty yeah, but I guess sometime in the first half of twenty. Basically, I think after Bihar, it's going to be the next. Uh, election. I think it's in April, or if I'm not wrong, April or May. So, so yeah, pretty be soon, the... yeah. Wow. So, so uh, Kiruba, what, what what do you take from the kind of politics that plays out in Bihar, since that's a you know closest election and your home state? What do you hope to see in both and? Where do you think the political trend is going to continue? Is it is majoritarian politics going to stay for a while more? Or as polls in the US suggest, it's it's done its time. But polls in the US, are they even believable? I don't know. They say, I US think polls, they have, thinking. they have, they have, they have, they have, they have, they have, so I I wish the majoritarian politics uh, don't stand, but I don't think it's going to happen. And uh, there are other reasons as well. I'm, I mean, the RSS and the BJP are mobilizing and they have been doing their politics on the ground in a very discreet uh, manner. And I think the outer layer of these elections that we see through the television is going to prove something uh, which is worse to come. And as far as Tamil Nadu is concerned, I I even doubt if I, if an election would be conducted, you know, by the manner it's been. Well, why do you say that? <laughs> why? <laughs> I mean, BJP was supporting ADMK for so long. And even after there was no uh, deserving candidate from the party, from, uh, you know, OPS to EPS, who was the, OPS, who was a deputy chief minister during uh, Jalalta and uh, EPS who all of a sudden became chief minister overnight. And uh, I think uh, BJP is very upset about the political climate in Tamil Nadu because it seems that uh, DMK could win, but they don't have any stand in the Tamil Nadu politics. And BJP is only, he is AD, ADMK and there is so much happening with Sasikala coming back and uh, ADMK's uh, instability in the politics. And I think they would do something to stop the elections even. There are chances that they might even bring, uh, either they would push the election date a little further later, or they might uh, do something to... Uh, Get president's you know, rule imposed. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but tell me, you know, this is one statistic that I can never quite stop wondering at. Like, you know, the BJP has got such a now stronghold in, in Karnataka. And mm. if one is to believe many reporters and, and political commentators, then in Kerala also, the RSS is making some kind of headway. In Tamil Nadu, when Jalada died and her seat fell vacant, the BJP mm. candidate got 1,200 votes. I mean, <laughs> like, so what what is it about Tamil Nadu that the BJP just cannot make its presence felt as a power by itself, you know, if if both you and Jayashree could give your views on what w- what is unique about Tamil Nadu, because it's happening it is, in other parts of the south. Yeah, yeah, I think it is because of the social justice history we have. I mean, the tradition of uh, championing social justice have existed for so long, even before Periyar Ayutthaya's, and it it has become part of 
uh, you know, Tamil culture. And when every other state was fighting against NEET, Tamil Nadu was very cool about it in the beginning because we already had uh, an exception from NEET and we had a very progressive, uh, you know, legislations against entrance examinations and we had our own uh, reservations for rural candidates, uh, Tamil candidates. And we have, um, you know, we have a multiple... Uh, you know, layer of healthcare system from the primary health center to the uh, Madras uh, Medical College. And it's something which is extraordinary. And if BJP is going to, uh, you know, rule out reservation from Tamil Nadu politics, then it's not going to win. And we have a very strong sense about reservation, you know, unlike any other state. And this tradition, and also if you look at the kind of uh, festivals we celebrate, it's like, just you pray to God, but you don't believe in this Hindutva politics. And, uh, you know, people are quite different. We are very complex and you, you can't understand us that soon. <laughs> Even I am figuring out what is this uniqueness about Tamil Nadu. Jayashree, what is your view? What is your theory? I mean, I think Kirwa has summarized it perfectly. But also, I mean, at the last election, so the BJP nationally, it's sort of planks was Balkot, which, you know, didn't whip up that sort of fervor in Tamil Nadu at all. Then there were the twin issues of Jalikata, which again is a huge issue of Tamar identity. There were the Sterlite shootings for which uh, people blamed the center. So these are two things that work very strongly against the BJP. But as a long-term project, why is why does it not take root in Tamil Nadu the way it has in Karnataka and Kerala? Because Even there, Kerala it hasn't led to them winning an election, but there is enough of a... Because Kerala also has yeah. the oldest RSS headquarters. Exactly, yeah. So it has, it has always had a strong RSS. The flavors... I would say the flavor of Hindutva is not as strong at all in Tamil Nadu. So right now, I think the BJP's sole hope is, I mean, as they've been saying for years now, is that Rajnikanth will come riding to the rescue. <laughs> but like, even Rajnikanth's messaging is so confusing. He first told them that, yeah, we must all do politics together. Then a few weeks ago, his uh, supporters started pasting political posters with his face on it. And he shouted at them and said, no, no, you should take it down. So they have no idea. Like, is this man entering politics? Is he not entering politics? So if he's if he's the BJP's wild card, it's not going to work for them at all. They, then it might as well be Kangana Ranawat. You never know which will go. Yeah, but Manisha, <laughs> you know, most probably, anyway, I mean... But Manisha BJP's is not present. that op- optimistic about Tamil. I, th- I think it is changing a bit. I, I mean, politically, of course, I don't know. But I do think that this right-wing discourse... I mean, of course, there's the dear Guru Murthy, but if you look at the recent, I'm just looking at the media space, there have been recent attacks on the press by the right wow. wing, which is now, you know, kind of growing in Tamil Nadu, saying that these are periyarists and, you know, the media is full of uh, people who support periyar or whatever, they're radical left and all that. So that kind of, that's a good indication of, you know, when things start simmering, I think. You know, when you start hearing of first few sort of, uh, because that's the first, that's how the, the right wing mur- generally moves. The murmurs of... Yeah, you know, yeah. first attack the media, attack the established, you know, sort of secular, quote-unquote, uh, establishment. And that has started to happen now in Tamil Nadu. You do notice that a lot. That YouTuber guy also who, I think we'd done a story on. Marisa, yeah, yeah. who go around, uh, you know, he would go around talking <laughs> yeah. about journalists. And I, think it, I think it doesn't help also that a lot of the discourse in Tamil Nadu is very uh, misogynistic. So mm. that feeds into a lot of these thoughts and ideas and also but traditionally yeah, I, I do think the Hindi imposition is a big fear there maybe more than other states I mean at least it's been really vocal about it so maybe th- that, that some bit of breakthrough has not been possible because they've always viewed BJP as like a Hindi 
ইন্ডিয়া as old as uh, sanskrit mm. in fact legend has it and and you know if if you believe all these uh, the mythology of you know some god danced and something happened and then this language is born so when yeah that damru was played from one side tamil came out and from the other side sanskrit that that's what they say but anyway you never heard of this song this is shivji's no, damru never no never shivji's damru I think your Tamil side of the family is lying to you. I don't know no, why. No, they, they don't tell me. They this is yeah, this me. your Punjabi side is telling. My Punjabi side told me this. <laughs> makes makes sense. <laughs> no, but uh, and I think uh, you know to just add to what Amanisha and Jayashree spoke about. I think it's because the state in itself is you know against uh, the idea of one nation, and we have this tradition of chief ministers and the Tamil Nadu government. coming out as international so if the central government should file a sedition against anyone who's coming against uh, their one india thing then it's definitely tamil nadu government even jailalitha though she is too different from dmk she was a social justice champion she brought uh, she extended the, she pushed the reservation limit over 50% now and it's 69% so i think we are as a state in itself you know our uh, anti caste Uh, anti-national and we protect our identity through uh, the government we run so i think that has given so much of courage for the people to strongly believe on the idea of social justice and the idea of dravidian politics maybe dmk or admk let me ask our in-house encyclopedia anand uh, is that right as a gk question is it tamil the oldest spoken language in the world <laughs> oldest dravidian language i think first uh, uh, two contested things first is that i am not an encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> and second is that this statement is contentious oh is it okay but it, people have different versions so uh, oldest language is, is still a debate so uh, we cannot say no, something not oldest language <laughs> oldest language still in use that that is why i said oldest spoken language so I, of course uh, it's not uh, the oldest language for sure but okay, it's so, i had read uh, that it's the oldest to, language still in use yeah uh, just to dampen your enthusiasm i am not sure <laughs> uh, so i think uh, uh, i don't know if it's the uh, oldest language spoken but I, it's a ca- classical language yeah so right. it's been declared a classical language and i, I think that, so maybe i think uh, they dated based on uh, i think they dated yes. based on sangam literature also yes which is one of the which is the oldest amongst uh, dravidian languages yeah yeah, yeah. So, oldest among the dravidian family yeah. uh, something like that so So uh, if any of our subscribers and listeners know about this do write into us at contact@newslawney.com I repeat contact@newslawney.com and if you could just tell us exactly what part is true and how much of it is fake news because just to be clear my statement is that the oldest language oldest language still in use but I have a couple of mails uh, on which maybe a panel can weigh in and after that I'd like to wind up with two bits of news one is you know of um, this former cbi head uh, commi- uh, you know killing himself and and uh, found hanging and the other is of um, 
the supreme court saying that you cannot block something indefinitely and what protests is and i just i would like the panel's view on that but before that a few emails if i may so this email uh, is from a wonderful subscriber who does not want to be named he says i'm a proud subscriber from minnesota thank you for being my prime source of reliable information in a time where the same is suffocated by post truth i had a little request with all my ignorance about the science behind podcasts would it be possible to reduce the delay between the recording and uploading of the hafta i totally understand if it's not feasible love your content and salute to manisha for her nuisance good uh, too much to say but i will Excellent. conclude <laughs> that in this world of echo chambers uh, you know you're consuming something unbiased when you hear both zafriyab gilani and suresh chavanke accuse the news laundry for being biased against them zafriyab so, gilani accused us of being against them I did this have, happen i have no idea but according okay. to this young mm. man that's mm. that's what's the case but thank you so much for your support thank you uh although i I have a view on bias. I I believe we are all biased in some way. Yeah, it we may never be, claim to be unbiased. But it, but but we have. But we claim to be fair and robust and and and, and we <laughs> we don't always agree with each other. We have yeah yeah we have differences. Um, but of course, and also the hafta. I don't think it can be put up faster. No, we already have a really lean team between recording and putting it up. We we record on Thursday, put it up on Saturday morning. Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon. Afternoon. Evening. Evening. I mean, we can't put up in one day. We used to put up in one day, but that time we didn't have so many shows. Mm-hmm. And also that time, hafta was just about forty minutes long. Now hafta is almost two hours long. Yeah. So the post production takes a while. It is possible, my young anonymous friend. Uh, but we will probably start doing that. You know, I um, we'll probably increase our team. By the way, many of you have recommended us to your other friends and uh, subscribe. Uh, got more subscribers. We did see a surge in subscription in the last two weeks. Mm. So thank you guys so much. If this can continue for another couple of months, then I'm quite sure we can turn this around in 24 hours. Because then we can have you know at least one product producer and a production assistant dedicated to this for at least three days. So you know the pre-production, post-production, everything will be ready and it can go up. But with this team, 24 hours is going to be hard. But like I said, if the the trend from the last month continues, then I think it's very possible. Okay, this email is from Jacob Modiel. Dear Team News Laundry, I'm a regular viewer of your shows. You guys are doing an amazing job at bringing out the hypocrisy of national news channels. I took a membership for a month specifically because of the Hathras incident that touched me at a different level. I am from Kerala and I think a channel has a lot of potential to grow in my home state. I just want to convey my solidarity with you and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you for doing what you're doing in Kalab yes, Zindabad. Yes, we'd like an office in Kochi. This is where I'd love to retire. You have every Yeah, uh, it, it, clearly why? Manisha's priorities are all in the right. Because <laughs> because it's just uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, they grow everything. You have all the food growing there. It's great weather. So so clearly beaches be are nearby. You'll There's be the best person to head that office. Pineapple and coconut together. Wow. So, I feel like you're specifically talking about Fort Kochi and not exactly, like Kochi. Exactly. No, no. Kochi is yeah, like, quite nice. I like it. This email is from Amrita. You are awesome, but Manisha deserves a superlative adjective. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> the verdicts regarding the Ram Mandir are as expected. My request to you is that please repeat and repeat what the truth was and is, because mm. many of the Hindus do not know the truth. One 1995 born boy was really surprised to know that Babar himself did not destroy the Hindu Mandir and build the Masjid. That is right now, I guess. Mm. Today, even if any of the opposition, <laughs> out of being bored or being idle, tried to get involved in burning issues, they are either physically or legally or by ED and CBI stopped. I hope for a new opposition. Regards, Amrita. Thank you, Amrita, for that email and uh, for your subscription. 
Now, I have, uh, you know, two views on this. Last week, we discussed Sunil Gavaskar's. Okay. Two views, two emails. Two emails and with different Crashing views. Crashing us again. No. Okay. One is Amita. Amita says, thank you for featuring my mail. I use no capital letters. Amita was the cricketer who had original written the original mail oh, okay, 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 saying okay, that she did okay. not like okay, what she didn't like her what uh, Gavaskar had said and our report on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used no capital letters. I used italics for what I read from your website. Manisha, I think you were wrong. I do not pay to alt news. I pay you. My message is from your link, which did not talk about alt news. You did not put out the whole transcript. That's quote unquote. I'm not reading too much into it. I did not cover the rest of the media. There is a reason I'm looking to you for news from you. I read your entire article. You should too. Mehraj, sorry you were wrong. It said the link I had sent, what Gavaskar likely meant. I'm quoting from your link. Likely is a part of our link. I was not making it up. Thank you for giving Nisha the time to defend my point. I am not one of those that is trying to say Gavaskar is a bad guy, as you have seen with my last email. My point was that his comment didn't deserve the light of day. He made an unnecessary comment and you guys are defending it. That is all I was saying. He is my hero along with Kapil Dev. Your argument is actually from which part of my mail? This is to you, Manisha. My mail said none of what you said that he said. She, she said that he was a dick or any such thing. I'm not plucking anything out. I'm just saying his comment wasn't in good humor. I'm a fan of Gavaskar and all of you. And thank you to me. I hope your niece joins the sport soon. It's quite a ride. Feel free to have her talk to me. Amita, I think I will, yeah. Uh, I think she needs a little um, pep talk about sport. But does she want to or are you just forcing it on her? She's very good. Because she was... you wanted to probably be a footballer as a child. So now you're just forcing your kid, your niece to just... <laughs> no such thing, yeah. Just <laughs> unnecessarily. <laughs> you are accusing me of stuff. But Quite. you have anything to say? Uh, before? Uh, so, um, I'm not a fan of Gavaskar or Kapil Dev. Uh, just quite simply, the I mean, thank you for your mail. And I agree with Nisha and you to the point that you want to critique Gavaskar and you want to call his comment dumb or stupid. But our piece was really reacting to how the media reported it, which we think, and I'm pretty sure from everything that I've read, that it was a misreporting. Uh, they misquoted him and calling for a boycott or a ban was just uncalled for. So, our piece was really addressing that, not addressing a critique of Gavaskar's comment or whether it was in good humor or bad humor. Right. So, um, this mail is from Ashu. Ashu says, I started my life in a small town in UP and the first English book I ever read, apart from school course books, was Chetan Bhagat's Five Point Someone. Hmm. So, I beg you to pardon my crass linguistic capabilities. Also, I could only reach half the word limit prescribed by Abhinandan because of my limited thinking capabilities and limited language skills. Coming to the point, I totally believe that Chetan has a right to exist as a writer and sell his writing. You may even do interviews, etc. with him to give him a platform and those unwilling can skip and not watch. However, seeing this guy on News Laundry Hafta as an intellectual and guest was really heartbreaking. He compared Op India and The Wire on your platform as being the opposite ends of the spectrum. The Wire is certainly more anti-establishment, but is it equivalent to Op India just from the opposite point of view? No, Well, you guys, even I don't think it is. Mm. Well, you guys know more, so you decide. There could be a slippery slope from here. Warn us, who are we seeing on the next... Who are we seeing the next intellectual on the panel? Maybe the next Big Boss winner or the, or maybe Anjana Om Kashyap. I request if you can't find a decent guest of decent caliber, don't bring one. I'm happy listening to Abhinandan, Manisha, Raman Sir, Maharaj, Anand and Jayashree, your new addition to Hafta team. A very welcome addition. And you, can, and you can replace such guests. So, <laughs> Ashu... Uh, he has very little gratitude... 
for someone who's first book he read and did he say he learned his english no also? he didn't no. say that but, oh, okay. but it's, uh, it's no, the first I, english book that I, he read. i i i actually quite uh, agree with much of what chetan says that he's trashed by you know privileged um, liberal um, elites of delhi uh, who honestly will not be able to write a book as compelling as his not that i i'm a huge reader of chetan's books but i don't think he gets a fair deal uh we have never claimed that we only invite intellectuals on this table we invite journalists columnists and writers that is basically we don't dis- invite party spokespersons and in that space i think chetan is a regular columnist uh he's a writer and you may not like him or his caliber but i i think he makes a good guests as any on hafta so yeah and i agree with you opinion why are on the same why may have a very you know ideologically strong thing go to into every story but they don't put out outright lies yeah <laughs> you know they may... and they and they correct their mistakes also like often when you point out you uh, know the issues they do opinion we have some like... a list of 15 opinion stories that are outright lies it's not yeah, even like they complete lies they yeah. didn't spin anything they like said something that didn't happen happened so it's that level and then i'll just quickly read one more mail and then we can just go on to the two issues i wanted to discuss this one is from prakash ayer hi nl team i like the discussion around hathras and news laundry's coverage of it One part I slightly disagreed is with the firing of the cops as an important step. Won't that just be a band-aid to the problem? Cops won't always be so horrible, but what Indians experience on a daily basis with cops is also horrible. For a few days they will straighten up and then continue with everyday harassment and we keep waiting till the next outrageous incident happens. Last I read the Supreme Court asked for police reform in 2006, which none of the states have implemented in letter or spirit. As some of the panel have done ground reports, I wanted to know their thoughts. on why police reforms are not an election issue in india like reservation or loan waiver police harassment impacts the oppressed every day shouldn't they be demanding reforms in that as well or have indians just accepted police harassment as a fact that cannot be fixed i think anything complicated could never be an election issue like police reforms are a very complicated election issue to go with and neither are agricultural reforms an election issue right hmm. loan waiver is simple maaf kar diya paisa that's a simple thing to go to voters with these things just i don't know people just don't I feel like people uh people vote better when you're talking about stuff like national security where you're saying we'll take down Pakistan and all that but when it comes to matters of internal security it's not something that since they're possibly not the parts of the population that are directly affected by it they're very happy to ignore it in politician manifestos so also I think it's just a complicated issue to convey also as an election issue and I think a lot of it is also we've accepted the police to be bad Yeah, that that is. I mean, there's also we. I think a lot of us just think that this can't happen. You see, the issue is, of course, it was a misreporting of what Gavaskar actually said. And Gavaskar, after his retirement from international cricket, he opened avenues for two generation of cricket commentators. He was one of the first. Uh, apart from ml jansima and some professional cricketer from india who took to professional commentary cricket commentary and uh, and the crowds that people met later they have to be grateful to the status that he made right so okay, so kirbat here's two things that i want to you know want you to weigh in on uh, the supreme court i think last week only uh, on this shaheen bag protest they have said that of course you have a right to protest and we are very democratic but you can't do it indefinitely in a public place and right. that has met with a lot of backlash and they're saying if it's not inconveniencing the state then it's a picnic so the supreme court is not upholding democratic values while it's pretending to do so 
uh, is one criticism that has come and in an unrelated but that also pertains to law and order and i'm curious to see what anand will say to this when i come to him former cbi head ashwini kumar killed himself and in fact one of the websites showed that congress leader ashwini kumar's photograph oh god india.com i was like dude that's not the right ashwini kumar and so, there is something more to it. so oh, what happened that uh, digvijay singh there was a minister in vajpayee government digvijay singh huh. so his daughter has been fielded by bjp in one of the seats here in uh, bihar okay so the i think aaj tak aaj tak or some maybe uh, the channel is different some carried the caps and that the congress leader vijay digvijay singh switched sides to bjp and is fielded in bihar. are you serious and they so, put the wrong digvijay yes so the namesake uh, uh, oh. was uh, reversed with parties also and something you know the police um and kiruba just to give you a little context you've not been to hafta before i uh, have utter contempt for the police force of a level that is it's unhealthy i don't think it's unhealthy <laughs> i i think it's at a level which is really severe uh, and i have a couple of friends who are in the police and uh, you know they would keep sometimes posting on facebook that you know police this police they have been completely silent for the last 2 3 months because everything i've said about the police has the police has borne out uh, so one on this whole police reform issue and the role of policing in our country and secondly i personally think while what the supreme court said seems undemocratic because supreme court is saying it but if you were just to see dispassionately they're right you cannot indefinitely i mean in the context of shaheen bag you can say yes that is you know it's wrong there's a context to it to the shaheen bag pr- protest but as a statement in itself you're a supreme court lawyer is it all that unreasonable for the supreme court to say that you cannot block a public place indefinitely and are we overreacting i mean if because then it's just a question of what the cause is right if let's say a bunch of people say india ko hindu rashtra banao nahi to hum ring road block kar denge aur wo baithe hi rahe matlab ek saal do saal is it a question of what is the morality of the issue that you're espousing but by itself is there something wrong with that statement is the supreme court wrong in saying that could you weigh in on both these issues I didn't understand any of the Hindi Hindi part you said now, but still I'll oh, Hindi, go ahead I, I, and answer. What I say in Hindi? Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> I I understood the gist from your first part of English. <laughs> I'm going to answer it. So, if the Supreme Court is not happy about people protesting for months, then there were petitions pending before the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court should have decided it to put a conclusion to the protest. So, what happened in Kashmir? people filed uh, you know, uh, several petitions and the court says no 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 we have many other urgent issues you better wait so what the court is expecting the public to do and there are many petitions regarding caa nrc and the court conveniently say no this is not the pressing issues we are going to deal with other pressing issues which uh, relates to uh, you know government's uh, um, you know favoring uh, decisions and uh, many other things we have been seeing what supreme court is doing uh, re- in the recent times and they have been in favor of government in every single case and i think this is something uh, which is again not surprising to me and uh, recently there was also another uh, uh, petition filed in the supreme court for in uh, you know with regard to the special marriage act and the supreme court says and the cji he during the course of hearing he says what would be the feelings of the parents of the if their children elope and uh, get married so we are living in a country where caste is everything and two adults are getting married 
and if the parents are worried let them worry sit in their home and cry but the supreme court cannot <laughs> ask for you know the supreme court cannot ask for the laws to mandate 30 days waiting period or anyone to file objections or ask for parents consent for reg- uh, registering their ma- marriages right the supreme court has committed blunder in the past and every time we have moved many amendments in the through the parliament to nullify those decisions so what is is supreme court is also comprised of upper caste privileged male predominantly male judges who have delivered domestic violence is misused cst act is misused and uh, your, uh, your democratic right of protesting is wrong but we will not hear any of the cases we will be always siding with the government you better fuck off yourself i don't know if you are going to cut this portion or not but this is what the message that i am receiving today so i think there is a democratic right for us to protest and that protest is defined by the law unless there is a restriction by law is imposed like emergency or any other thing when the livelihood of people is at risk what the supreme court is expect, expecting from the people and we all know the entire nation outraged against cheraj phoenix custodial death did anything come from the supreme court no in the hatras case everyone who was watching a television show would understand the grave procedural lapses and the abuse of law in this uh, in the state of up and the supreme court conveniently gives two weeks time to the up government so then the supreme court know what was happening in the uttar pradesh honestly and when the allahabad high court has already taken cognizance of the issue and the allahabad high court is ready to make the state government accountable why in the first place supreme court allowed this public interlocutions because it is not how the uh, supreme court u- behaves uh, usually so in general when a public interlocution is filed in the supreme court with regard to a particular state then the supreme court says no you go to the jurisdictional high court this is not for us to decide unless mm. there is a pressing national issue which affects two or many states no public interest litigations will be entertained by the supreme court but in the, in this particular case i am seeing that the supreme court allows the public interest litigations and it, it is not condemning the state government and it conveniently gives two weeks time and it's, it's simply asking have you provided any protection for the family victim family so from the news report is the supreme court still believing that the state would still protect the victim's family when they are humiliated at every level so i think this is a collusion and i think the supreme court coming out against shainbag protesters is some uh, you know is um, against principles of natural justice and against their fundamental right to fight for their life right manisha your view I on i completely me- agree with her kruba because what you are saying is true maybe for normal circumstances but like she said these are extraordinary circumstances what could have shainbag women done if not sat there on that piece of land in their locality and protested the way they did if they hadn't done it no one i mean it finally did make the government reconsider did you know get them scrambling to at least go to the public and say no 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 this is only for outsiders and we are not going to implement the nrc and we are just getting the cal so i think i mean in extraordinary circumstances when a citizen is pushed and when it came to i mean for these people and i went to shahin bag also and we've done ground reports from there it was really a question of their existence in india So what do you expect them to do go to jantar mantar and do like convenient protests and come back I mean they had to maybe adopt measures which were extraordinary Jayashree your view I also totally agree with Kirba you can't restrict protests to whatever is convenient 
Because if it's going to be convenient and in some demarcated corner where protests are allowed, then neither will the public be aware of it, nor will the government be compelled to make any sort of response. And the government is very rarely compelled to respond anyway. So I mean, that's what I think about the Shaheen Bagh thing. And uh, with respect to Hatras, I mean, I think just a couple of hours ago, uh, the victim's family filed a petition or something in the high court saying that they're being illegally detained in their houses. So, I mean, this is the way that systems work right now. So your Supreme Court doesn't back up its people in any form. Uh, right. This is why like FIRs are filed against like 22, whatever FIRs were filed, but none have been filed against accused or whatever so far in Hatras. So, yeah. For the Supreme Court to now designate Shaheen Bagh as the FIRs have example. been filed against accused in Hatras. There's an ah, FIR against sorry. accused. So, yeah. Right. Anand, your view? No, I I agree with what Supreme Court has reasoned. And uh, you see, any verdict is an exercise in public reasoning. And uh, what it has given more precedence to is administrative reasoning. And uh, the obstruction and nuisance it can be for a very large section of population the obstruction so for visibility if you want to make your agitation visible other ways can be worked out in consultation with the administration maybe a visible place with restricted area and other mechanisms can be worked out but uh, obstructing the pathway of uh, the commuting population and I don't think it's uh, uh, feasible in the long run. I think one interesting aspect in Shaheenbagh protests is also that and at least those of us who went there, they didn't really block the roads. They had blocked the sides and the police has had barricaded true, numerous actually. entries and exit points. So the traffic jams were being caused by the police's random barricading sometimes which wasn't uh, even necessary. But that so I becomes think, a part of it because if there is a, the Police procedure is that that if there is a, a conglomeration of a certain uh, number of people at certain place, you have to make some arrangements and blocking is a part of it. So yeah, yeah. that that would follow. That would follow if a certain number of people. So barricading at the site of the protest, I get because there are kids and women in this traffic. So you want to make sure that no one, you know, the kid shouldn't lie accidentally saunter into traffic. But I'm talking about barricading in that neighborhood beyond Shaheenbagh. Yeah, I remember when that you whole know, thing even happened. Even the they, JNU uh, from yeah, Vasant Kunj, they had just randomly blocked, blocked that whole road. There was no I protest think, there. I think they do that sometimes in Queens. But I, I think I, because I get it, what, uh, if it can be. If there is some kind of apprehension that it can be also a violent flashpoint, they do something. But yeah, but that I think I, I won't go by the states or the police's judgment. But I think what Kirupa said is something that I kind of get in this context that specifically for this case, because the Supreme Court is actually, you know, hearing this case and not a general statement, because I think as a general statement, that seems like a reasonable statement that you can't block a public space indefinitely. But in this specific case because the Supreme Court was hearing this case, they had the opportunity to resolve it. So it was in their hands. And I think that is the most compelling argument that kind of punctures the Supreme Court's um, view in my case. But as an absolute statement, I I can't say I disagree with it. That's If it was stripped of context. Uh, now just finally, I'd just like to end with the thing on the police. Uh, I, you know, uh, just a little story I'm telling this, you know, my two police friends I'm who I'm talking about, who I keep arguing with on how horrible the police force is. And now suddenly they've gone quiet because in the last, 
I think one month we've seen the police for all the ugliness that it is capable of. And it's not an outlier. That is the default setting of it as an institution. So this guy says, you talk too much. Next time you need any protection, then you see when you come begging to me. I was shocked. He said, then you will need a cop. I come from a family of Fauji's and a very close uncle of mine has taken a full blast of an MMG and it went through his body and, you know, his guts were spilling out and he survived. And then um, no matter how much we criticize the army, I haven't seen any Fauji say, Agli bar desh attack karega na, phir come running to us. They do what they do because that's what they've chosen and they understand that they're not doing anyone a favor. I think while this is an anecdotal case, I think this kind of underlines the mindset of a police officer. He thinks he's doing you a fucking favor. And that pisses me off. And the fact is, it is the most vile institution. And I think it has become... And the reason the, both these friends of mine have gone silent, I think it has become increasingly impossible to defend the police force in the course of what has happened in the last month and a half or two. It was always hard, but I think it has become hugely impossible. And, you know, this uh, CBI killing himself... You know, I often wonder because the kind of, at some point, I mean, of course, I'm speculating because the, the, the reports say that he was suffering from depression and stuff. But the pressure of doing something and heading something where there's political pressure, you, you are desensitized because of what you see. I mean, the friend I'm talking about, one of them is in Punjab. And he tells me the first time he saw an interrogation, it took him a while to get over it. He's I had never, I wasn't used to seeing someone bashed up like that. So I'm sure it kind of, adds up at some point and the, the stress gets to you. But I mean, I just wanted to end on that rant. If anybody has anything else to say about the police force, and I really, because Anand is a huge believer of the institutions of the state. And I think many of them are rotten and if they're rotten, they fucking deserve to fail uh, and be completely done away with because uh, we don't know what will come is worse or not. That's just a fear that is hung over our head. But if anyone has any other, you know, thing to say on this, please feel free. Jayashree, Anand, Manisha, Kiruba, who'd like to start and give us closing comments? So in response to Anand, I think what he is believing could be possible in a place where rule of law is prevalent and constitutional morality is upheld over, uh, you know, other uh, religious moralities. But I think there was a time where the Supreme Court was defending the rights of the people. And I think it's a glorious time of, you know, Indian jurisprudence. And just take Bhagavati, uh, you know, uh, Justice uh, Bhagavati and Justice Krishna here, who held that bail is the norm and jail is an exception. And they listed out the rights of the public. And I think that glorious time will not repeat itself in the history, Indian uh, Supreme Court's history. And also there was a time where even the judges of the Supreme Court went against the emergency implemented by Indra Gandhi and you know the government burnt all the funds relating to emergency and the court outraged. So there was a time when the court was for protecting the rights of the public and now we lack trust on the judicial system. It is not wrong on the part of the public to not trust. It is for the Supreme Court to make public trust by keeping their representatives in the system and making it feel like it is our system to ask for our rights to be protected. So now, for the past 10 years, there is no Dalit judge. And now, only this year, uh, you know, one judge has been appointed. And how many Muslim women judges or how many Muslim judges we have? And how many Dalit queer or Muslim queer judges, uh, lawyers can become judges? There is no possibility for 
minorities to have their representatives in the justice system. So when Phoenix and uh, Jairaj uh, brutality happened, everyone was talking about reforming police system, but no one looked at the way how minorities look at the police system as a whole. And ask a trans woman if she had felt safe when there was a police standing on the street when she's walking through the road at night. The trans woman tell you the history of the abuses that the police department inflict on minorities and queer people in this country. So I think the reforms should come from the perspective uh, of Dalits, Muslims and queer who are mostly affected by it. And historically, police have been for the governments to exercise their power and reinforce their, you know, all sort of upper high handedness over the common citizens who, who are already vulnerable in a casteist racist system. So I don't see police as a you know, friendly counterpart who would protect us, but I, I'm always threatened by the existence of police. So this is where Black Lives Matter you know, took the center stage. And I think this is how the question about police system or accessing the system or even thinking of rule of law will come. So unless we reform such things, and even in Hathra's case, we are keep talking about the police officials, the constables who burned the body, but where the order come from? Right. It should have been definitely coming from a higher official who could have mm-hmm. consulted it with the chief minister, chief secretary and the home minister and the law minister. It shouldn't have been, I mean, I don't think this is a one-man decision. So what mm-hmm. happened to the IAS officers who decided what will happen to the IG, DAG, commissioner or the, the first class police officers? They'll stay safe. And we are still looking into the magistrate, district magistrate. We are still looking into the sub-inspector on the inspector level cadres. And we are still looking into the SPs and commissioners, but not the higher officials who take these decisions. And even now, they have been suspended. What will happen now? Everything will be happening in a closed door in the name of disciplinary proceedings, departmental inquiry. Where is the punishment? Yeah. Also, we... yeah, in Hathras case, at least it is really hitting at the lowest person down the food chain. You know, and that police officer says also, I'm a third class officer, I can't do anything. These guys were clearly acting on orders and those guys have to be questioned, I think, more than just... And you know, anchors also find an easy way of saying, ki, police, how can you do this? But no one will ask, who gave orders on them? Well, when they get the chance to ask, UP Chief Minister Aditya Nath, then they'll be saying, Sir, you're a fool. And because these days, Aditya Nath is sponsoring everything. I mean, he's there on every banner ad and front page ad. But yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, Jayashree Anand, who'd like to go first? I, I don't have much to say. I mean, I I agree that the police as an institution, the rot has set so deep that it's difficult to know where to start when you're even talking about reform. And yeah, I agree with what Kiribati said on how we don't really analyze where orders come from. It's very easy to sort of sacrifice some lowly constable, suspend him, throw him out, whatever. But he's not the man who made those decisions. And I think the thing with the police is they tend to close ranks. So even if any action is ever taken, they've come together to protect their own. So this is how they sort of block any sort of punishment, any sort of fallout of decisions that they take. Anand, you have the last word. It's not a question of, uh, say, defending or supporting any institution, for example, police. It is also a question if you are doing commentary or analyzing something, I think. My emphasis, at least, is on developing a holistic understanding. And uh, holistic understanding, apart from various aspects that have rightly pointed out, is also understanding the administrative reasoning about it, because that is also an aspect why 
why a certain officer at a certain position did what he did. And it is also to understand, because they also give reason, we did this for this. Sometimes it has to be taken with a pinch of salt, but sometimes it may be correct. And uh, if you see the hierarchy of bureaucracy or police organization, particular cases, you, you have to go case by case. And now if in this case, in this case, it could be the call taken by the district magistrate. So you have to see his reasoning, what the reason he has given within the circumstances. Now, the reasoning he gave may have resulted into a disastrous action. And uh, that might uh, be the reason. But uh, a holistic understanding of a situation, I think uh, I try to do it. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. But it is not a question of defending or support or uh, attacking an institution. And we appreciate you for that. Thank you so much, Anand. Appreciate your always thought through positions on things. Okay, quickly back to the mails before we wind up. Uh, Yogesh Chandra says, Hi NL team, we are aware of the catastrophe that took place in Hathras. This incident revealed the true face of society we are living in and the government that is ruling us. Kudos to News Laundry to show us how real reporting is done without backing of big media houses and unlimited resources. It's good to see News Laundry going mainstream from, from being a niche. Also, it's been a while since we've seen Madhu ma'am. When would she be back again? We are missing her a lot. Also, as News Laundry has a diverse group of subscribers, you could start a Discord server. It would be great for exchange of ideas. Yogesh, actually, uh, funny you should say that. We were just discussing this the other day. We will be starting one soon. This mail is from Goonj who says, Hi, Team NL. I wanted to express the pride I have felt from your coverage of the Hathras case. Kudos to Akanksha and Nidhi on their reports. The unique contribution was the documentation of the journalist's behavior, mm. how they drank from plastic cups and then littered them across the floor of the house. Mm. Would the same be done at an upper caste person's home? There are other reports that talk about how intrusive and insensitive reporters are being, but at least that is driven by the flawed news model. What makes them litter in another person's house? Is it not their subconscious upper caste privilege? Related to the case, I'm curious to know what you think about the illegally leaked phone conversation between Tanushri Pandey and the victim's brother. Is this generally how a reporter talks to people off the record or is it better to be more formal? <laughs> if possible, please do discuss how each of you would have conversed with the victim's brother if you were in Tanushri's place. Actually, we had a really uh, yeah argument with this with some of my journalist friends. Some of those who felt that she was out of line hmm. and others who felt that this is just how people talk. What do you think? Well, Goonj goes on to say, let me hmm. read a PS. Oh. I really <laughs> liked the interview of Omar Abdullah. He was very open and frank. Does Abhinanda know him from before or was it pure interviewing skills? So I have never met him in my life and I've never spoken to him before. That was the first time I spoke to him. But But what I thought what she did was, see, what she did, I wouldn't do. But that doesn't mean I think it's wrong. I was, I mean, just so you know, I keep saying news track journalist. I was not a great journalist. Because either I would back off because I thought I was being too intrusive or I would pick fights. So often I wasn't sent on the field because I'd either not get a story or I'd pick a fight and come back. But I used to go out often enough. I think what she did is something that... And also I've reported a time when we weren't so desperate here. You know, mm. like if I was what I was then, if I was today, I wouldn't survive in a, in a channel. I'd be told to walk. But Madhu saw that there are some things I could do and she would encourage me to do those. Even if there were some things that I was not good at. But in today's environment, I think what she did, she wasn't coaching him. Yeah. You are just begging him to do something and it's okay to do that. It's I think it's okay to do that. Yeah, I think like, uh, at least in the conversations that I had, so it's again the print and television divide. Print journalists were less sympathetic towards this because they felt a... You shouldn't be scaring a person. I mean, you shouldn't be telling the guy that the police are going to be scared. Especially when that video is out. So I think 
and of course again because print journalists operate under different pressures but they've also led the coverage here i mean i must say indian express has kind of led the coverage on this case at least one newspaper and television journalists said that okay it's way less than what a lot of other television journalists would do right. but clearly she was she wasn't coaching that's very clear all she did was she was really trying to extract yeah she wasn't coaching exactly she was really trying to extract an exclusive video out of the victim's family that is what uh, it was i felt was happening and it was i felt it was a bit jarring i would also personally not do that and i i don't know if i'd feel really happy if someone in news laundry did that like just the police aapko fasane wali hai aur hum hum jante hain and also placing yourself as a savior ki hum khade hain yahan tumhare liye lad rahe hain i think that's a bit to me it's a bit i don't know yeah i, I are, think it's aesthetically something that i could not do and i agree with you i'd be a little you know averse to any news laundry person doing it but i don't think it is unjournalistic yeah 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 and especially in the tough environment the television journalists operate in but i must add here that uh, nidhi and akanksha very sensitively handled this whole uh, story they were there before any of these guys you know landed they went back again to hatras you know these girls haven't had you know days rest for the past two weeks we've been working like at night till 12 one exchanging notes they get up by 7 8 filing stories and they're back in hatras now and they're now. back in hatras and you know it can be very emotionally draining because they're not just doing one case they've also been covering other rape rapes in lakhimpuri so they've really been like for the past 2 3 weeks constantly reporting on rapes without any break i'm really proud of them and i really think i i wish we had more resources to have two more reporters maybe in balrampur or in other places or even two more reporters in hat you know um hatras to Uh, look at the right wing yeah. media's narrative also you know right. to because there's so many stories coming out of that place now you know you have the family the thakur family is now being upset you have counter accusations on uh, the uh, on the victims so we wish we had more resources but we're making do with what we have and we're doing a great job because i think we we were ahead of mainstream media in this on story on this for sure we were there you before know, others, anybody else you know others news on um, ndtv quoted us indian express quoted us there were other journalists referring to our stories so thank you for the contribution and please keep it yeah, coming yeah guys thanks for contributing it's all because of you guys and your support if you can yeah. just encourage your friends relatives family whoever can afford to do support news laundry go to newsland.com and pay to keep news free and like manisha yeah. said you know we are so proud of our young journalists yeah. you know ayush basant akanksha even even video team you know producing two videos like this with subtitling with editing it's it's really and our entire staff all of us we can fit into the room we are sitting and recording this in we can all fit here the full news laundry staff just saying and and there are people who have buildings with 18 floors and are doing fuck all and and these young journalists that we have in our team i shouldn't sound like i'm some old auntie but yeah but all of them are really driven you know ni mata ji nj to see ekdam theek hai mata ji no but i'm saying that a drive can only take you so far it's important to keep this economically sustainable also which is when news consumers have to step in that's correct you know now we have a lot of emails so can i request our subscribers not to mail us for next week so i can finish tarun arora's swarup reddy shankar chandrashekhar akshat bhushan uh these four mails so if you could just desist from mailing us this week and we'll again start next week because i do want to read out these mails because i want to include as many mails as possible and guys please keep your mails to about 300 words because we are getting so many and it breaks my heart to reject any of them so i'd like to include as many as possible so on that note uh i will say bye to everyone and speaking of courts and all that just want to say that we have a court case against us we are i have been dealing with lawyers for the last two days for several hours a day So these are expensive things so if you guys can kindly ask your friends and we shall 
hopefully write a piece about this in the next week or two on uh, this case that, that has come against us in the most bizarre fashion but uh, yeah i i would like to meet those lawyers fees i don't like to ask them to work for me for free all those several have offered i just don't think it's fair because they'll get sick of us sometime but on that note uh, can i ask everyone for the recommendations before we say goodbye uh, kirba let's start with you please yeah so i think uh, people most of the time refer to annihilation of caste by dr ambedkar but i find castes in india its genesis mechanism and uh, development to be a very important paper that opened my eyes about how caste is oppressing women and how caste has been operating in the pair of sexual violence as against sexual violence against women and i think it is what uh, made me talk about intersectionality and then uh, i would uh, suggest um, kimberly crenshaw's paper on uh, intersectionality and she's the first one to even coin the term intersectionality and the paper is available for free on the internet and anyone could uh, search it is named uh, demarginalizing the intersection of race and sex and it is by chicago i think it is published in chicago university's website it's a wonderful read so for whomever who think caste has nothing to do with hatha's case or what is intersectionality is all about why should we always talk talk about caste i think intersectional paper of kimberly crenshaw is a wonderful material that could educate you and then i think uh, we all should watch when they see us uh, series limited series on netflix wonderful series which one is that when they see us right right yes of course that was a while ago yeah, yeah wonderful series and after watching the third episode i couldn't watch the fourth fourth episode you know i was taking a break i was crying for three days i couldn't digest how the system is actually operating against blacks and uh, you know dalits and it is more uh, relevant to the indian uh, dalit situation as well so wonderful series and you could seriously understand how the criminal justice system works so these are all important tools to educate ourselves about uh, you know the unique experiences of dalit communities and where intersectionality is coming from and toni morrison is always my favorite and uh, the way she writes about black community is very unique because she doesn't stop with white supremacy she also speaks about how black community is also different how one woman is oppressing another woman how a black men have been oppressing black women and i think i am someone who has been talking about dalit men um, you know romanticizing in, uh, intercaste marriages and how dalit men appropriate the entire anticaste space and how when an upper caste woman is in a relationship with a dalit man or she is dating dalit dalit man she obviously becomes a anti-caste champion and she appropriates Dalit women's spaces. And when I, when a friend uh, heard me speaking about these things, he told, this is the exact things Toni Morrison is also writing in a book. And I think you should put out your thoughts into writing Kiriba. And I, and it's through a upper caste queer friend I came to know about Toni Morrison. So Toni Morrison is someone everyone should read. And please don't think, think that I'm keep referring to Western materials because Indian uh materials come from our ex, uh, experiences but if you want to get in uh, get into something deeper and if you want to theorize what's been happening i think i take my uh, lessons and i'm getting educated by the us racial uh, struggles 
So these are all very important materials. I would suggest. Thank you, Kiruba. And the link to that paper will be below where you listen to this. If you're listening to this podcast on our website or even on you know, on other podcast platforms, you can check them out. And I repeat, please start listening to this hafta from our website because from next to next week, it's going to be behind the paywall, and you will not get it for free like you have been getting for the last few weeks on YouTube and all that. Uh, Anand, you want to give us your recommendations? Yes, uh, since we talked about Bihar elections, I am recommending two books as general introductions to contemporary Bihar society and politics. Uh, these two books, they have their own biases, some strong biases also, but they are general introductory outlines of uh, the political developments in Bihar in the last two, three decades. And the first one is uh, in the last five or six decades. Uh, so uh, one is uh, Arvindan Dash's book, uh, The Republic of Bihar. It was published uh, 30 years ago, but some of it's, it's quite relevant to contemporary Bihar also. It has uh, some strong biases, but still it is informative. It has some, you have to distill information out of its biases, but informative. Uh, second is uh, The Battle for Bihar, The Rise of uh, Nitish Kumar, uh, so at Theatre of Power. So it, actually I was going to review this book, but Penguin has done some kind of reception. It has rebranded an old book as new, 2011 book, and it has published it with uh, the, I think, to cash on the election season for uh, and uh, given it a new title. But it's a good book, uh, informative, it has some biases, but informative. One thing last I, I would like to say that uh, some commentators, Delhi commentators, and some of the their clientele in Patna also who supplied material for those templates. Now, they emphasize on particular aspects of identity politics uh, in Bihar. Particular, they are not, uh, say, they don't give you a broad view of a lot of parallel developments, even within identity politics and governance, administration, and a lot of, so, like, see, Dilip um, Mandal has talked about uh, that uh, a very romanticized view of La Luera. Same as uh, this uh, Ashim Ali. Ashim Ali was uh, in a Twitter spat with someone and I saw him defending something uh, that uh, how social revolution came with this. Now that social revolution was actually not a revolution. It was it, it was a kind of uh, privilege for very a small fraction of uh, backward forwards. So uh, means the forwards among backward, and it uh, it had a history. Even it didn't come with Lalu. It had a thirty-year-old history, and even after Lalu, it was it was broadened. So it it is a wrong historical judgment to make. So first, you need to have grasp over information for four or five decades before coming to into sweeping conclusions to fit into templates. So uh, my suggestion is that avoid templates. Go for information. Make your own judgments. So those are good books for that. Thank you, Jayashree. Your recommendation? Uh, I have two recommendations, both are pandemic-related. Uh, the first is a novel called Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. It's about the world after a pandemic killed off most of its population. It came out a few years ago, but what I like is that it focuses on human attributes like grief, courage, and even the mundanity of life following the collapse of an entire civilization. My second recommendation is a story in The Guardian by Saman Subramanian. It's called Inside the Airline Industry's Meltdown. It's about how the industry is literally reimagining its future. And what I found interesting is that this is, a, this is an industry that historically moves very slowly. 
Planes are ordered years in advance. Routes are plotted over long periods of time. But COVID has sort of forced it to make decisions very quickly. So it's a good read. Right. Manisha? Um, I think I should prepare more for the recommendations because I usually... I just you forget. end up watching so much of Times on Republic and you can't possibly recommend yeah, that. Yeah, and then I end up sounding so dumb, which I shouldn't. I should sound smart. But okay, so uh, <laughs> I will do the smart thing of recommending a news laundry report by Nidhi Suresh. Hatra's girl wasn't raped, UP police say, wasn't she? I think if you want just a quick rundown on what has happened in the case, this is a good piece to read. And also it answers a lot of questions like why didn't she speak earlier and stuff like that. I don't know if I recommended this earlier, but Amit Verma's podcast with Amardeep Singh, had I recommended no. this earlier? No. Okay, so this is one something I listened to recently and I really liked it. Nanak was here. It's on Guru Nanak and Nanak, his following. And from The Atlantic, a piece recommended for Anand Vardhan. How to protect your happiness this election season. Talking and reading too much politics could damage your well-being and your relationships. <laughs> So that's just some light reading. Okay, and I have two recommendations. One is a NPR podcast, Planet Money. It's rethinking black wealth. Before I make a hash of the explanation, I'll just read out the, the summary. It says, for decades, policy and debates around the roots of racial inequality in America were based on an official government report from the 60s. That report blamed poverty on the unstable structure of black families and more specifically families headed by black women. This past spring, Brookings Institution... Fellow Dr. Perry published a fresh analysis on the state of black America in his book, Know Your Price. And in this episode, Perry flips the narrative of the racial wealth gap. Based on extensive research and data, he he redefines the term devalued asset. And unlike the old report, Perry's book argues that black women aren't the problem, they're actually the solution. And it's a very interesting podcast and I highly recommend it because it completely turns an earlier theory on its head. And I think this could be true for so many things that we've been taught to believe, which need not necessarily be true. And the second thing I uh, highly recommend is our old colleague Arunab Sekia's piece and scroll on the Delhi riots, that how the investigation of the riots has just become this. Absolute witch hunt. Yeah. So, um, and as we speak, the Uttar Pradesh government, did we add this? We didn't discuss this. The 21 FIRs that they filed Against on the Bhimam. back of the Hatras case where they've said it's a, it's an yes. international conspiracy. Yeah, the foreign Who internationally cares about Yogi first, I want to know. We'll I mean, discuss internationally, that why do people want to... But on that note, uh, thank you, panel. Thank you, Jayashree, Manisha, you. Anand. And most of thank all, you. thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, uh, I hope your research carries on, uh, Kiruba. Thank you. And hope to have you again. Yes, hope to have you again soon. Sure, sure, sure. My pleasure. All right, bye. 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 And on that note, I shall say goodbye and leave you with this song. She calls out to the man on the street. Sir, can you help me? It's cold and I'm nowhere to sleep. There's somewhere.
All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.